Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and you're listening to the 25th episode of the show. Thank you so much for joining me once again to cast a new guest off to a virtual deserted place. I just wanted to say a quick thank you before we start today to all of you who have listened to the show so far, as the show was once again featured on a Best Podcast of 2016 list last week, this time from the tech publication Stuff TV. So thank you everyone who has checked out the show and listened so far. You are all so very incredibly awesome. And considering how very short this show has been running, it's pretty amazing to see all these things happening. So thank you. And joining me this week is an equally incredible guest who, in conjunction with last week's release of Monster Hunter Generations, is my most perfectly timed guest ever. And I promise it wasn't even intentional. My guest today is a resident of Japan like myself and someone who has lived here for over a decade. He started making videos at the beginning of 2014. His tutorials and guide videos swept through the Monster Hunter community and were the go-to videos to watch when Monster Hunter hype reached peak levels on the release of the excellent Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. Since then, his YouTube channel has grown to over 110,000 subscribers and over 18 million views. His internet alias, Gaijin Hunter, is synonymous with the Monster Hunter series, and he's one of the most respected and revered members of the Mon Han community. He's even referenced multiple times in the latest release. My guest today is the wonderful Adam Avenko, or as you might know him best, Gaijin Hunter. Hello, Adam. Hey, thanks for having me on. Oh, no, it's an absolute <laughs> pleasure to have you no, on. No, 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 I'm blushing. You gave me such a, <laughs> a glowing intro, it felt a little, a little... Oh, no, it's wonderful to have you on. You are, you are Mr. Monster Hunter, which is strange <laughs> considering you have worked in video games for a long time. I have. I've been in games now for, gosh, it's been over a decade um, so would you like to tell uh, a little bit of your history about what you do? Because a lot of people don't know the other side of you apart from Monster Hunter. I'm actually a government spy. No. <laughs> <laughs> For who though? America or Japan? <laughs> I don't know. Mm, I wonder. No. Um, <laughs> so a lot, a lot of people ask me, it's really funny. They say, how old are you? Because in a lot of my videos, I don't go on camera. Yes. Um, because for me, it's more about the content than me. I'm not trying to be a personality or anything. Okay. Um, but I'm 35. Um, I've been living in Japan since I turned 21. So I've been here for like 14 years. Wow. Yeah. That is a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Having been in Japan for a, a year now, that is a long time. <laughs> I know my entire adult life. So it's funny because I, like, I know all the banking terms and everything that an adult would worry about. I know the terms in Japanese, but not English. <laughs> Because <laughs> I never dealt with it when I was uh, living in America, so yeah. So, uh, so what have you been doing in Japan for these past fourteen years, then? So I kind of moved over here because it was just kind of a life dream thing. I don't know why, but I've always been obsessed with Japan. Okay. So, like, I knew from elementary school I want to live in Japan. Then I got into games. I'm like, I want to live in Japan and work in games, and it just kind of evolved from there. Okay. So I was twenty. Um, I realized, I was like, I really want to go to Japan. So I decided to look for like a language school, just like one year, an excuse and a way to get to Japan. Yeah. I had a really good job at the Ritz-Carlton uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. So for my age, I had a really good job. And I said, okay, if I don't go now, I probably am going to get settled down and not go. Yes. So I just applied. Um, it, it's a language school, so you just pay the money as long as they have an opening you're in. Um, and then I moved over here when I was 21. Um, and because I didn't know Japanese when I moved here, <laughs> I couldn't get a job. Uh, um, and I did not want to teach English. It was just a thing. Um, I didn't feel comfortable with my English ability. 
I didn't feel comfortable with teaching. I was quite shy. Okay. Um, so I started working at McDonald's, uh, believe it or not. Wow, really? Yeah, I walked into McDonald's in Shibuya, which you guys might know if you've played The World Ends With You. It's yeah. the really cool downtown place with the crossing. Almost recently, Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Oh, nice. Uh, it's in there as well. Yeah, that's based in Shibuya as well. Yeah. Nice. So I did that for a year, um, and then I, my Japanese got good. I started working back in hotels again, where, of all things, I was the assistant sommelier working at a champagne bar. So I, for three years, I learned wine and champagne and got very snazzy and good. But I also learned Japanese really well when I was at the hotel and discovered that I was good at translating. Um, and then it never occurred to me that in video games, companies don't always have their own translators. They hire companies to do their translation work. Uh, so one of my friends told me. Um, so I found a small agency that was looking for translators. So I took a translation test, so to say. Yeah. Just I knew I was going to fail it. I was just like, well, if I do, if I take it, maybe they'll show me what the correct answer, and then I could see how far I have to go. Um, so I took the test, and I got a phone call, and they're like, "You're in Tokyo, right?" I'm like, "Yeah." They're like, "We want to meet you." I'm like, "Why would you want to meet a freelancer?" <laughs> I was like, "Okay." So I go in there, and they offered me a full time job, um, and they wanted me. They had just had a big turnover. They had almost nobody in the department. A lot of pro high profile jobs. So boom, I got myself into the game industry just on sheer luck. Um, and I guess they really liked my translation. So, and then I worked in game localization for three years. Um, and I had, I got really lucky. I worked on some incredible titles. Um, and then I sort of got scouted into my current job, which unfortunately I can't talk about. Um, but I've been at my current job for about nine years. So I've been working as not localization, but as a game producer. Um, so it's been a very fun and demanding job, but and then on the side, obviously, um, the whole YouTube thing, which which started, uh, gosh, only, I'd say, a year and a half ago, two years ago. Yeah, like 2014, wasn't it? Like May, early-ish. And it's amazing. Obviously, you are here today as Gaijin Hunter, um, more so than your game producing role, which it, most of my normal guests would be here because of that. <laughs> um, you're this multi-talented person. But you are—you have become Mr. Monster Hunter almost. Um, I remember reading a NeoGaf thread about the release of Monster Hunter Four Ultimate, and uh, uh, yeah. a lot of people were saying, "Hey, there's this there's this guy who does—he does tutorials. If so, if you're if you're wanting to get into it or you want to learn more, then you should be checking him out." And it, this was like as soon as you started, it was almost like everyone saw the quality of the videos and how in-depth you went. And they were like, wow, we need this. Because the Monster Hunter community didn't really have much like that, I don't think. Yeah, I got kind of lucky. Um, like I started, I, I became actually good friends through work with the guys at 8.4. The the wonderful 8.4 players. I love yes. them. They're so great. Um, yes, 8.4 play is one of the best podcasts out there. I'm a huge fan, <laughs> fanboy of the A4 fan, of guys, yeah. And the, obviously they talk about Monster Hunter every now and then, right? Yes, um, you have been a, a, a staple on their show for when Monster Hunter rolls around, yeah. <laughs> so there was, um, they sort of, t- I, I was listening to an episode, it sounded so awesome, I'm like, maybe I should finally give Monster Hunter a try. So I actually got into Monster Hunter um, in December 2011 when Monster Hunter 3G, which was like the Japanese version of 3 Ultimate, yeah, I got into it here in Japan uh, like four and a half years ago, and long story short, I got horribly addicted, um, and I became a total fiend for it. And <laughs> the guys at Eight Four knew it, 
And I started blogging even though no one was reading my blog. It was just, I was going head deep. I wanted to learn it. I wanted to know and breathe it. So they sort of as a tip off um, put me as named a poogie in the game after me, which was pretty nice. (laughs) (laughs) Because they noticed that I, I was so, you know what they say, like when you're in love, you want to tell the world. Yeah. And I was totally in love and I just wanted to spread that. So I was just starting to write all over Twitter, all over Tumblr. Actually, at that point, it wasn't even Tumblr. Um, it was some horrible Japanese blog, FTC or something like that. Um, but yeah, I got I got hooked. And then I think, you know, there were some some content creators for 3 Ultimate. Um, I think Shepard was the big one. Um, and uh, it's like the Monster Hunter podcast I think they're doing now. Um, but yeah, you're right. There was a lack of it. And as a producer, I think the thing that I enjoyed the most was at work when you're trying to pitch an idea or you're trying to explain something, it's you've got a kind of complicated subject. You've probably got a dozen or so talking points about it. What order and what do you introduce them in the way that makes it feel most intuitive? Yeah. Um, like which one makes it e- like if I was going to read it, what would make more sense for me? So I just started writing tutorials and it wasn't for anybody. It was for me. Because the practice of writing the tutorial made me understand the weapon better. <laughs> yeah, like noting everything down and being like rereading it and being like and rewriting okay, it and going, yeah, like, that's too early to talk about that. Like that doesn't make sense. And yeah, why is that? And then I started posting them on as a blog. I think I had maybe two readers <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and then um, the the blog started going pretty okay once I switched over to Tumblr. Um, and I just realized that, you know, maybe I should try videos just like, cause I was inspired by some of the people I had watched. Cause there's a lot of really great video creators out there, even with tutorials, but I just felt that I had a different format in my head of what they could be. Um, and then, yeah, so I just decided around Monster Hunter, uh, for ultimate or Monster Hunter four, let's go all in. And, uh, I gave it a shot and my very first video I think that with actual production quality and I actually, you know, tried to make something special was I think last Jan not this January, but the January before, which was my charge blade tutorial for Monster Hunter four Ultimate. Yeah. And that still remains my most viewed video and it it's a great success and taught me that one I got lucky and also there was a lot of hard work in the background on how to get that video out there and I had a lot of help from a lot of good people. Um but I, it, it assured me that my format was okay and that other people would learn the weapon like I did. So, yeah, and it just started to cough and I haven't stopped. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, quite amazing. It's, uh, it's amazing to sit here and think it, it's only two years because yeah. you have been this huge person. Because Monster Hunter, I think, especially with 4 Ultimate and now Generations, has blown up to be one of these huge franchises now. There are so many players out there. 4 Ultimate was uh, a lot more accessible than previous games. Yeah. Uh, we used to have to play with the Monster Hunter Claw. Uh, I, my first ever <laughs> Monster Hunter game was Freedom Unite on the PSP. And that was oh, horribly... Man. You are a veteran. Yeah, you're clawing uh, it with your hand, right? Oh, I tried. I so tried. I have, to, I, have to, I have to ask because I've noticed that most people who grew up on the Claw, they use the virtual D-pad on the touchscreen. I do not. I I'm okay. I'm quite Target happy cam? with the new controls. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I have the new 3DS, so I don't even have to use the circle pad. I get to oh, use yeah, the yeah. nice little nub. The nub. No, I'm t- the claw was awful. Like <laughs> <laughs> I am not very good at Monster Hunter, uh, but I have played it for a long time because the appeal of going on quest to uh, kill monsters is 
is great. And yeah. doing it with friends is awesome. And Freedom Unite allowed you to do that with the PSP's ad hoc uh, thing. Um, so I wanted to get into it, but the old Monster Hunter games were a little yeah, bit clunky. intimidating and clunky. And it wasn't really until maybe 3 Ultimate kind of on the Wii U and the 3DS. Yeah, they were getting better at teaching it. And... Yeah, they were getting a lot better. And then 4 Ultimate was like when they crafted that perfectly. And yeah. there was such a great game. And alongside that... <laughs> And I think Capcom really has to thank you. Is your videos got a lot of people into getting over the barrier of how intimidating Monster Hunter could be and realizing, hey, once you get over these things, like I'll teach you these things, you can then go on by yourself and play with your friends and then really get into it. And I think a lot of people have done that thanks to your videos. So I think it's been nonstop for you, I imagine. It has, and it's been it's been a humbling experience, and it's been a gr- it's been a growing experience. I'm still learning so much, and things that I'm doing really bad, things I'm doing okay. Um, like for example, when I started, I didn't do voice because I'm so shy. I was going to ask you that actually. <laughs> That's one of the questions I had down. I remembered originally, and I always thought this is really strange because people don't particularly enjoy reading subtitles in films. Exactly on a tutorial when you're trying yeah. to pay attention. and I, I, <laughs> this, I, I didn't know anything about making videos. My initial ones, if you look all the way back, was just me having my iPhone pointed downward on the screen. Yeah. And I just had some stuff that was so cool, I just wanted to show it to somebody. So yeah. I was just recording it. And then I got lucky through a hum- humble bundle, and I got a program called Camtasia, which I love. And it's recording software, and I got it cheap. And then um, when I decided to make the big plunge and, and spend the money to do a capture card, which is like three hundred dollar investment, yeah. Um, I was I, I never even thought about doing voice. I was just like, oh, whoa, not my voice! You kidding me? So I did subtitles, and that was really hard. Actually, um, it takes a lot of time to do all that. But then I decided finally to get a mic. And if you, I'm listening back to some of my older videos, and it's, I'm not saying that my voice is okay now. It's not. <laughs> you, but um, I my would old ones are I bad. think you have, uh, for someone you want to listen to for a long time to understand something, you have a very nice, softly spoken, very attentive, like kind of radio voice. <laughs> I've I, actually thought, I think that like, helps. maybe this year, I, I was like, maybe I should do some voice training because I actually don't have any. I've worked in voice recording and video games for a long time, but being a dir- directing it and performing is very different. So, uh, yeah, it's been one of those things. It's a growing experience. I just I listen to some of my older videos where I started doing voice, and I just it's cringeworthy. I'm just like in, in my head. In my head, I was energetic. I was smiling, and and it sounds. Hi guys, this is my video. <laughs> you'd be surprised how hard it is when i listen back to old episodes of even just this podcast and then i listen to or watch old videos i've made in the past i'm like oh how did did you get so good at uh recording voice and comment i'm curious because your your podcast is great um i i wouldn't i'd be very much the same as you and i was i still think it's very bad i think i mm, myself i'm very lucky i grew up in in multiple parts of England, I moved around a lot, and I lived in Wales, and then, then since then I've lived in Japan. I think my voice is very neutral. I don't have like a an accent per se, like a lot of people, <laughs> unfortunately, in Britain are a victim of their location, which means their voice is modified by their surroundings a lot. Same in America, many places in America, like the South. Oh yeah, or, you know, have these very strong accents that sometimes can be. Yeah, difficult. you pick up stuff, right? It's hard yeah, to shake. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I have a very flat, neutral accent. I, I don't like my voice at all. Very similar <laughs> to you. Um, 
But I'm very used to, especially considering I am an ALT by trade. Oh, nice. Similar to how you started out in Japan. I have to speak English very loudly on a daily basis to many unattentive children. Ah. So I have to be loud and that kind of thing. So no training whatsoever. I just shout into a microphone. (laughs) 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 And uh, I think we both can agree that no one particularly likes listening to their own voice. You always listen to other people and you think, wow, that person's got such a great voice. And then you ask them and they're like, no, I hate my voice. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, no, I sound so bad. I guess you're your own worst critic. And it's probably probably just probably some kind of weird instinct there about hearing yourself and self-consciousness. You you never, you you always sound different to yourself when you listen back. Um, But obviously now we are, I don't want to talk about it too much because obviously it's out and Anyone who is a fan of yours and is listening to this is going to be expecting that one of these eight games, maybe more, are going to be Monster Hunter games. None of them. None of them. None of them. Absolutely (laughs) not. So obviously, I don't like Monster Hunter. I just, I just do tutorials. Just do tutorials. (laughs) Bringing in that YouTube money, that very, very small YouTube money. (laughs) Very, very small YouTube money. (laughs) So yesterday, this this podcast obviously will be released on Monday next week, but we are recording on Saturday morning. Um, an hour later, <laughs> I may say, Mr. Mr. Avenko, an hour later, because yesterday was the release of Monster Hunter Generations uh, in the yeah. West, America and Europe. Uh, we've had Cross over here for a long time. You've been doing a lot about Cross since its release. Yeah. Generations is out. Huge hype. Tell tell the lovely people what you were doing at 3.30 a.m. last, last night. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel so bad because yesterday it finally launched in the West. So you had Monster Hunter Generations on the eShop first starting in the EU and then to the U.S. as well. So I was excited with everybody else. And it's just amazing that a game can get you that excited when, like you said, I've been playing this game since last December. I've been tweeting and talking about this game since last summer. Yeah. Um, but I was super excited and I was with everybody else and I couldn't sleep. So I was on people's streams. I was on, um, Diyoshi TV, who's a very good friend. Um, and the leader of our sort of Twitch team, he had a stream. I was on there playing. And then I realized that Capcom EU had a stream as well with the awesome Eric's gaming, um, and socks and also Jake, who's their community manager. Yeah. And And I noticed it was three of them. They were at hyper Japan, weren't they? Yeah, and there was three of them. I'm like, there's three of them. They have an extra spot. So, <laughs> so I went in there, and I, I joined in to help them. And we were doing um, sort of the high-rank quest for Jake. Um, so he can sort of, you don't call it like beating the game, but there's a certain point that you clear in the game that unlocks a lot of content. Okay. Um, and he was just about there. So I was having such a fun time with their chat and them. And I wasn't even on voice at that point. I was just in the room hunting with them. <laughs> um and i end up you know we were getting so close to that barrier for jake and it's just the excitement and everything so i stayed up until three forty-five in the morning helping them um until we busted through so i probably didn't fall asleep until about four so then when my daughter came in uh, at nine forty-five, she's like daddy wake up i'm like Hmm? What time is it? Oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be on a podcast at nine. <laughs> <laughs> so my diva's apologies for that. It's okay. Evo has been entertaining me in the background, so that's okay. That, <laughs> and that, I, that. I, I have a friend here from the UK as well, so I, I was good for this morning. I was just hoping, oh my God, what's happened to Adam? Is he okay? <laughs> the, the hype is too real. <laughs> <laughs> but, so people will be expecting, there might there might be 
a Monster Hunter game. If if the people are lucky, there might be there, a Monster Hunter game be. in this list. Other than that, we're here to talk about eight games that you would take to a deserted island. And your list is very, very intriguing. There are some games on here. Um, there's one game on here that I, I can't wait to talk about because I've been rattling on about it for a while. Uh, <laughs> and there are some very interesting games as well. So we're going to dive in right into it now. So we're going to listen to some music from this first game. A game, if you can call it a game. <laughs> and then we're going to jump straight into it. Sounds good. So, Adam, the first game on your list today that you're going to be taking with you to the virtual deserted island that we will talk <laughs> about in a little bit, it's not really a game. Where it's is a... this island? I'm I, hope they, <laughs> I hope they have AC power. Well, we can talk about the island in a little bit because you might get to choose where you go. <laughs> but the game we're going to talk about first is uh, it was produced by Gunpei Yokoi, the excellent Gunpei Yokoi, uh, developed by Nintendo's R.A.D. team and Intelligent Systems for the Super Famicom. Uh, it originally released in Japan in 1992 and then a bit later in Europe and uh, America a few months later. It's a game that came packaged with a mouse. Uh, and a mouse pad as well. Uh, but your viewers, some of them already know. <laughs> yeah, some people will be hinting on. It's Mario Paint. Adam, please tell me why the first game out of all the games you are choosing <laughs> Mario Paint to take with you. Okay, so when, when you first told me the premise of the show, which I think is hilarious and I love it, I was thinking, it's a game that I'm going to have to play until I die. I'm going to be alone on yes. an island. I need to keep myself <laughs> stimulated. And okay. I can think of, and also I was thinking like when you get older, maybe my hand coordination would get really bad and I wouldn't be able to play more physically demanding games. So I wanted something to keep my brain active and I can think of no more stimulating software than Mario Paint. Because if you guys haven't played Mario Paint, um, it's it's an amazing, amazing software. Like I said, it's not really a game, it's more like a tool. Um, yes. But it's got two major components. One of them is obviously drawing, which is really fun. But the point of it that I like the most is the music composition. Yes, which so, is what it's essentially famous for. A game called Mario Paint, but... Why mostly... the heck have they not released Mario Paint Composer on the 3DS? I, I just don't get it. Or like on the smartphone and have sharing. Like, there's or just... even on the Wii U with the gamepad being able to place down the it's notes. Nuts. Yeah, understandably. Yeah, so a lot of people don't know this um, about me, but growing up um, in school... My entire childhood, all the way through high school, I was a musician. That's that was. If you said Adam Ivanko, they said, "Ah, he's the musician. That's what he does." So okay. I was obsessed and and very hardcore and like to the point that I was it was going to be my career um, in music. So I was uh, my main weapon, so to say. <laughs> I was about to say my <laughs> when I said main, I was going to say my main weapon, but um, was clarinet. Um, so I played clarinet almost 
like I did youth orchestras, competitions, you, you know, I was in several bands. So I did clarinet as my main. I played tenor sax on the side in jazz bands. And I also did stand in for flute when we had orchestra pits and they needed a flute player. Okay. So I was very big into music. It was my entire childhood. So I was actually able to compose stuff on Mario Paint. Like I knew how the music staff works. I knew the notes. So I think I had a little bit more fun with it than your average Joe who might sit there and just play around with the sounds. But the cool thing about that game is anybody could make anything right. Um, Yeah. But I think Mario Paint, if I was stuck on an island, I would amuse myself by making music. I would amuse myself by drawing pictures. It's It feels like the perfect game for being stuck on an island. <laughs> you, haven't Does, had, you haven't had anybody pick this before? No, I've, ha- I've had people pick Mario Maker. So Mario Maker has been chosen, which that in a sense is kind of the same thing, that creativity, very simple, trying to keep your brain stimulated idea. <laughs> but yours is very more focused on making... Um, there has been someone who uh, who has chosen like, uh, like a music... Uh, uh, I forget. It was like a PlayStation music game where you okay. could make uh, like tech techno music, <laughs> like one of those very early uh, music cue based type tools that you could get on the PlayStation. Very clunky, but worked. Yeah. Mary Paint. I mean, why not? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking. So, I was thinking like one game from every major genre that really, if I was going to def- define my life in gaming, I would pick it. And when I think music, I was first, the first thing that pops in the head is, of course, Elite Beat Agents, because that's just too fun. That but, game is so good. But Mario Paint is just, that's, that's, that's for the long haul. You never get bored of that game. Okay, so let's think, right? Let's picture ourselves in the deserted island. <laughs> Got Mario Paint on. <laughs> One of the first few songs that you're going to try and replicate. Monster Hunter um, theme songs. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I was gonna, no, the first one I'd probably do is the... Um, uh, the so tasty meat music. It's it's really simple melody where you're 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 burning meat, and it's okay. it's, it's like a little fifteen uh, second chime or so. Yeah, and I could totally make that. And then if I <laughs> if I have to fish and I'm 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 making the fish on the island, I could put that on there and go din, 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 so tasty, and it'd be so fun. <laughs> and then and then gradually build up to the dun dun dun, dun, dun <laughs> like huge monster hunter themes, composing <laughs> symphonies on Mario Paint. <laughs> So then when someone finds my bones, they'll find a cartridge and they'll be like, what is this? <laughs> oh my man, gosh, he's like the modern man. Beethoven. What's going on? <laughs> just a man holding it like an old uh, Super Nintendo mouse with this music <laughs> playing in the background. And, and you know, with old Nintendo products or even recent ones, it'll still probably work. It will still probably work. I see a lot of the... Being in Japan, we have this like chain of stores. They're called like the something house, like yeah. off house or hard off um, and all these types of places. Hard off. That have, <laughs> Lots and lots of old video games, and you, they usually have like a junk section where it's like half working peripherals. Yeah, and I always see like Mario Paint mouses. Like <laughs> I don't know what it is about like my off house here in Japan. There's always like either Sega Saturn controllers for some reason, or Sega there is, yeah, I don't know why Sega Saturn controllers is an abundance of those, <laughs> and Mario Paint mouses. Um, which is stuff like in the West, like people would be going crazy for because they can't get hold of these things. That's true. Um, but yeah, so the first game that you're going to be taking with you is Mario Paint. Yes, Mario Paint. <laughs> Excellent. So we're going to move on to your next game then, which uh, is a little, little bit different from Mario Paint and actually a game. So we're going to listen to some music now and then we're going to dive straight into it. 
Okay, so the next game we're going to move on to, we will talk about in a second, Adam. Because before we go into the next game, we have to talk about the virtual island that you are actually trapped on. Um, we allow you the choice of island or place. Uh, it has to be a place from video games. Um, it can be anywhere, but NPCs, uh, humanoid characters that can potentially help you to leave or um, could interact with you in any, any way will not be there. Okay. But monsters and anything that could be harmful or anything that's maybe not got the sentience intelligent of like a human being will be there. So you have to think carefully. <laughs> so you don't particularly want to choose the world of any of the Monster Hunter games. Yeah. That would be a bad idea. We're, we're hunters in the digital world, but in real life, we'd get our butts kicked. Yeah, we would. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> they, they, they will see you. Like, there'll be lots and lots of like. Jackies who will be like, it's that guy. It's yeah, that guy who filmed, who filmed loads of videos of us dying over and over again. He, he slaughtered our entire race. I, I actually had a dream. Um, sorry to side stuff. I had a dream once where there's a monster in the game that looks like a really like nice vegetarian, like like a rhino or something. It's very nice and it doesn't attack you. It's called an Apanoth, I think. Okay. Um, it's like one of the grazing animals that you just see in the fields that you, uh, you initially kill for like raw meat. <laughs> and the thing is when you're testing to to check the power of an attack the easiest way to do it is to stone them to death because when you throw a stone it does one damage so you sit there throwing like 60 stones and you realize he's got 60 hp you know behind the curtain then you hit him with an attack and then you stone him for the rest of it and let's say it takes 40 you can say oh, that attack is 20 power and that's oh my god that that's is how you very technology you, you you, yeah, you go really slow and you test out everything to ensure that you know the power of each attack. So I had a dream where I was cornered by a bunch of them, and I think they were trying—they're they're chasing me. <laughs> and I think they were like really upset that I killed—I've killed thousands of these things. <laughs> Luckily, I always—I always quit the quest so they don't actually die, which is good. Yeah, but um, it was a funny dream. Sorry, to sidestep. <laughs> So then let's talk about the virtual place then. It, uh, trying to take like Monster Hunter out of your head then. What, what does come to mind? Um, so for example, I always give an example for my guests. So um, we had places like uh, Outside Island from The Wind Waker, Koholi Island from uh, Link's Awakening. Um, I, think very I, lovely. I think I already know the island I want. Okay. Destiny Island from Kingdom Destin Hearts. Oh, okay. Very beautiful. Disney, Disney Islands, yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. A... There's not a lot of people. There might be heartless, so I might find myself in trouble. But being a sort of Disney-esque world, I'm sure that I won't die in the end. You'll, you'll probably just <laughs> become... And there's always the hope of escaping to another world. <laughs> that's true. That uh, That's a great idea. We, that's one we've not had so far, so... Destiny I'm always Island. welcome to new places. So Destiny Island from Kingdom Hearts and is Pop the place you are trapped. Yeah. Yes, they've got Papua fruits. They've got beautiful shorelines. What more could you want? Exactly. Chilling, playing Monster Hunter and this next <laughs> game for the rest of your days. As well as listening to music in the background of Mario Paint. Yes, obviously. all my massive <laughs> compositions. <laughs> <laughs> well, a game with massive compositions is the next game, which was uh, produced and directed by some very famous uh, RPG play, um, RPG creators, and it's written by Sakaguchi Hironobu. It was published by Microsoft and developed by Mist Walker Studios. It features composed music from the very famous Nobu Uematsu. It's for the Xbox 360. It's a game that 
I think people who played it really fell in love with it. It kind of got passed over because it did get a little long-winded towards the end. But it released in Japan in December of 2007. It came out in the West a year later in 2008. It's Lost Odyssey. Adam, Lost why Odyssey. Lost Odyssey? Oh my gosh. Lost Odyssey, like I'm a huge Japanese RPG player. And I'm a yeah. huge fan of Final Fantasies like when I was growing up. Huge fan of Uematsu-san. He's one of my favorite composers. I listen to his music on my iPod all the time. Yeah. Um, and Lost Odyssey, I can think of no other RPG that has captivated me like Lost Odyssey has. Maybe Final Fantasy VI, but Lost Odyssey is just amazing. Um, I mean, it's the reason why I sort of bought uh, an Xbox 360, which in Japan, as you guys know, the Xbox is not getting any type of, you know, People yes. aren't going around talking about how cool the Xbox 360 is and how you should buy one. <laughs> um, so Xbox when... is a very dead brand. You may see like a small corner of like maybe one or two Xbox games, like especially now with the Xbox One. You may see like Halo 5 and mm. Battlefield or something, but everything else, like nothing. Xbox is dead in Japan. Yeah, but Lost Odyssey, I mean, one one straight out of the gate, it's an awesome game. It's, it's a really it's great a RPG. Fantastic, yeah. Um, and it's Sakaguchi-san the Gooch, and I'm a huge fan of his. Um, but the thing is, is this game constantly pops in my head all the time because there's I don't, you've played it, right? Yes, I absolutely adore Lost Odyssey. So I, this is this is a game I've waited a long time for someone to talk about on this show. Okay, put it this way: I was so captivated uh, by the concept because the concept for people who don't know is that the main character is immortal; he can't yes. die, and they actually put that in the game: you can't die. Like, you'll instantly revive after a few rounds if you die in the middle of the turn-based combat. You don't die. So it's really interesting. How do they craft a game around a person who can't die? But they took an approach that was so heartbreaking, so poetic, um, and so thoughtful, I think, with the way that they did immortality in that game. Yeah. Because this guy has pretty much been wandering around the world, and he's very unhappy that he can't die because, like, all of his loved ones are going, are dying. He's going to lands and seeing them, you know, go through major changes, go through wars, you know, and he sees the world in a very different light. And there's something about this game where uh, Sakaguchi-san hired Shike Matsu-san, who is an author here in Japan, um, hired him to make, I think, 30 or 35 or something short stories where he told him the premise, told him about the character and said, I want you to write short stories, which are like fragments of his memory of different times. But I want you to focus on the emotional element of it. Yeah, And he wrote a book, a collection of these dreams, which are in the game. And I remember I was at the Lost Odyssey concert um, before the game was released here. They did a concert for it. Okay. Um, where they were doing music from both Blue Dragon and also Lost Odyssey. And they had um, his book, which they actually published here in Japan, which is The Thousand Years of Dreams, because the characters lived for a thousand years. Um, and they sold it there. And I was able to buy the book early. And I was reading it. And I was so... It was so thought-provoking um, that I immediately went and contacted Brian Ashcraft on Kotaku. Yes. And I like fan-translated one of the stories and said, oh my gosh, you've got to publish this. Like People need to know how amazing what this is. Like It's coming. It's unbelievable. So he did that, and he wrote an article, which you can find on the web that I did, which was funny. Um, and then, I mean, I played it. The, the voice acting was great. The gameplay was great. The dreams are incredibly thought-provoking and it pops in my memory all the time it's such a there are so many elements to that game 
the battle system is fantastic. The way they use magic in that game um, is incredible. It's like, it, it does remind me a lot of Final Fantasy VI. It's this sort of almost revolution, industrial revolution type mm. where the machine and like magic combine together to create this world. And you are going through all these different times where all these different things are happening. Like weapons become more and more powerful, like cities are being wiped out and lands are being changed all the time. And you are constantly going through these like highs and lows with uh, your main character. And, Oh, it's, it's 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 what can you not say about this game right and the soundtrack incredible. is so good oh yes. my gosh it's so it's funny good. like people obviously umatsu-san is incredibly famous for the final fantasy uh soundtracks the distant world stuff he does now but a lot of people have not listened to the music from lost odyssey because it is this kind of yeah. strange uh almost intimidating xbox 360 rpg that it was a like lot of people... it was like four discs it was it was four absolutely DVDs. huge it was it was like a 90 hour game it was massive um but the music for lost odyssey i like you will have heard the track before this you will have heard one yeah. of the tracks before it's we some of his best work it's unbelievable yeah. You should definitely check it out if you haven't heard it. And you also should play Lost Odyssey, although obviously it's on Xbox 360. They, what? they really need to remaster this for the Xbox One. Even, even if not that, I've said oh. multiple times on Twitter that i talk to people who are fans of Lost Odyssey as well. They need to release it on Steam. Japanese oh RPGs gosh, are doing yes. so good on Steam. And Lost would Odyssey be would be perfect. That think, would be think amazing. Think of the money <laughs> they would get. But yeah, I think... More than most RPGs, I consider it a creative success. Um, even if yeah. it, even if it wasn't fantastically uh, financial success, um, I think it was just an unbelievable game and, and moving. Like there's certain, I actually cried. Like I, I got teary eyed twice in the game. Yeah. Um, uh. they they do pull the emotional strings, and there's a character in there as well who's the comic relief. Um, I can't think of the voice actor's name off the top of my head, but they hired a comedian to do him. Uh, it was Jensen, I think, was the character in the game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he probably just ad-libbed everything in the studio. You can tell none of it was scripted. (laughs) And it was some of the most refreshing humor I've heard in a video game in recent memory. It's it's just really funny um, and very naturally played. Um, I just couldn't get enough. So much work went into this game. I remember reading a lot about it. They they were expect because this was like so. This was two thousand eight, two thousand seven development of around two thousand six. This was very early on in the Xbox three sixties life cycle and. The game was gorgeous as well. The way it, it transitioned from cutscenes into the battle system yeah. was just unlike anything else at the time. But I remember reading about it. They were using a lot of like new AI systems. They had they were using the Unreal Engine three, which for a Japanese development studio was unthinkable. Sort of, yeah, unthinkable. Yeah, and they were like using motion capture. And, and they uh, recorded in English first too. All the voices were done in English, so the Japanese is a dub over. Oh wow! I did not know that. I did not know that. And it, um, I, I remember that obviously Sakaguchi had worked on Final Fantasy Spirits Within, so they were sort of the idea of the visual cinematography they were taking from right. film. Whatever you think of Spirits Within, it's still to to create a movie is very different from creating a game. You have to think of visually what you're placing on the screen. Um, so they were taking the idea of the cinematography and trying to like the battle system. If you've not played Lost Odyssey, it has a very strange camera angle. It's almost like a like <laughs> looking up at the characters from the side all the time, which is very sort of cinematography, like yeah. cinema- it, when cinematic. You, what was really fun about that game was like when you go into attack, it does what it looks like a roadie run in Gears of War. 
<laughs> like it, it, yeah, it feels it very you, you can feel the speed of like when you're rushing i call it the it's definitely the brody run right and there's yeah. a little there's a little wheel that it's just a timing game sort of like you know like lead beat agents where you just hit the the trigger when the the ring hits it and yeah. it allows you to do critical hits better but it's it's so simple and so well implemented and because of how they um dynamically show it visually yeah like it keeps you engaged even though it's a turn-based combat You'll just see like a character like dragging his huge sword on oh, yeah. the floor, <laughs> sparks flying in the air, screaming while the camera is really low yeah. to the sword and your controller is vibrating. It's yeah, so... and, and the mages were, you know, the, the warriors got up front and protected the mages. And the mages took a while, but the magic was super powerful. Oh my <sighs> gosh, I love the it... game so much. <laughs> I'm so glad I finally got to talk about Lost Odyssey. It's a game I've not played for multiple years. I picked it up on the, I picked it up pretty cheap once. Um, Back when I was working in Game, which is like one of the UK's largest chain stores of mm. video game shops, uh, I was like, oh, this is like £12, uh, very cheap. Um, let's give it a go. Obviously, it said Sakaguchi on it. And I was like, okay, let's let's do this. Played it. <laughs> I was in university at the time, so no, very a lo- lot of time on my hands and <laughs> I loved it, loved it. Now, what's really funny is um, I've worked on over, I th- I've been trying to keep a count by a lost count. I think I've worked on over 70 video games. Wow. I've worked on a lot of games and through a long story, we the company I was at at the time, we actually were asked to bid on the localization work for Lost Odyssey. So, um I'm so happy we didn't get it. <laughs> um one Microsoft it it was such a big scale game that I think Microsoft had to make their own a small subsidiary company just to handle the localization. Like they made their own little office with like a whole team. Yeah. Um it was such a massive scale and they did such a good job. I just say thank God I did not have to do it cuz I would have butchered it. I I don't <laughs> think I could have done anywhere. I think they just did it's a, it's unbelievable what they did. So they did. It's and it's a, as we said it's an extremely longer game. So you know perfect for for, for the listeners I will recommend this. Um I'm sure it's on YouTube or it's, if it's not on YouTube there's definitely a site where someone has transcribed them. But there is the Thousand Years of Dreams, which are the short stories um, in the game um, that cover sort of, like I was saying, the the history of his memories and stuff like that. Um, So I would recommend that any of the viewers go out and check those out. Which is, this? there's one specific one that is incredibly sad. They're all incredibly sad. The one that I had fan translated, um, and obviously the official translation by the amazing Jay Rubin. Um, who works at uh, is it Harvard or he's a university um, professor? Um, was the one where it was the soldiers coming into the pub? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So sad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but like, yeah, seriously, go on YouTube and watch them because they did it in the game where it's it's like a visual novel where they have the words pop up on the screen and then there's background music. But there's also transcribed versions and just reading those stories, I think is would probably make it very not only entertaining but intriguing to the point where you might pick up the game just based on that. Yeah. So do we, do check that out if you don't have yeah. a 360. We need to push for this to be released on Steam. It would be perfect for for it to be <laughs> released. Should start Steam. a hashtag Lost Odyssey for stream. That's it. That's going to be the hashtag for this episode. I'm going to fly to Hawaii. I'll get people to send me there. I'm going to go to Sakagusan, get him off his Legos, get him off his surfboard and say, "Dude, and he's going to look at me and say, businessman, you know it's not my decision. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about the mobile games for now, Sakaguchi. Come he's on. Like, he, I know you know he's the creator. He would love it out there no he matter would, what. Yeah. It's he, not his well, decision. Well, we can only hope that it gets 
it's one of those it's funny we talk about video games in we talk about it in years almost we we always mm. have like video games is it's always measured in errors almost and the xbox 360 era was this incredible time for like multiplayer online games and obviously nothing like the super nintendo famicom days of the jrpgs of old but lost odyssey was one game at that time in an era where there were not <clears throat> many jrpgs the, i i believe the first at least from Japan and how it was perceived by me, the very first high definition, next gen, so to say, RPG experience was Blue Dragon. Yeah, and which 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 was, was great. I loved. Yeah, that. We, uh, but in comparison to like Lost Odyssey, oh, I yeah. don't think it was received but as it, well. Yeah, but it sort of like you know set the ground and where it was kind of a push of let's make some you know next generation yeah. Japanese RPGs and, and, not, and not take ten years to make each one. And obviously, it had the wonderful Toriyama art behind it. Yeah. which had been pushing Dragon Quest for so long as well. Um, but that also is a really good soundtrack. Um, and again, I think Uematsu san the thing I like about him most is that he embraces melody, where you you know some of the more modern FF games or just other RPGs, they embrace this like, ambient stuff in the background where it's just atmospheric. Yeah. But it's it, it, there's not a melody. And a melody is very scary, I would imagine, to create because it... It's the personality, right? Everything has to come through in that melody, and that's what Uematsu-san is not afraid to embrace. And well, you, you, when you think of melodies, you have to think, okay, this is something that's going to be repeated for hours and hours on end, depending on how long you spend it. You could be spending like two hours in a certain area, and that area oh, yeah. has to have a melody, but the player is going to hear that melody maybe four hundred times in that. <laughs> so it has to be something that. Um, they don't get bored of or they don't get sick of hearing. Yeah. Which I think, obviously, we all remember old Japanese chiptune stuff <clears throat> that sticks in our head. Like, you know, Pokemon, Mario, Zelda have all nailed down these melodies for many, many years. Yeah. Um, but it's also the orchestrated stuff. Uimatsu-san has that style where he mixes in, and Lost Odyssey was one of the ones where he pushed it, where mixing in, like, guitars and drums and more yeah. modern instruments in a classical sense. He was definitely learning, leaning towards more what he was doing with his distance world, like being able to do his own thing, kind of not, almost no restraints in a way. Yeah, I remember screaming like a schoolgirl when they did a preview at an E3, I believe it was, or Tokyo Game Show, where it was the background music where you're fighting like the seven mages. Oh, yes. On, yeah, on a yeah. boat, and the theme song is so epic. It's so, <laughs> I literally I started shaking. I was so excited. I was just like, oh, oh my gosh, I have to play this game. So, yeah. yeah, as you can tell, anyone listening right now, if you've not played Lost Odyssey, I was talking about this with a few listeners of the show last week about Lost Odyssey being mm. one of those games. Um, <clears throat> it's a great game. If you have a way, hopefully, the backwards compatibility for it will be announced for Xbox so, yeah. One. So if you have an Xbox One, maybe you'll be able to pick up the game on cheap uh, and then play it. It's totally, absolutely worth your time, even, even now. Yeah, I got to through... Um, certain circumstances, I got to meet Keith Ferguson, who did the voice acting for Kaim, the main oh. character, and I totally freaked out. Because <laughs> like oh. Keith, oh my god! <laughs> As he's he's done so many memorable roles for so many games, and I'm the one guy who comes up preaching about Lost Odyssey, and it made him very happy. <laughs> oh, so excellent! I love so, that game. Sort of reminds me of when I met George Clooney, because um, when I worked in hotels, I met a lot of famous people. Oh, really? And, yeah. And um, George Clooney was in Cleveland filming, uh, I was going to say Welcome to Collinwood, I believe it was a movie. So he was in our hotel for like two months 
and I worked, uh, I was the assistant front desk manager at night. So all, at night is when all the talent comes in, right? And that's when, and they're always usually nice. So I get to interact with lots and lots of famous people. And George Clooney, I said, okay, because you're not supposed to treat him like a fan because it's work. Yeah. But, but we were talking, I said, you know what? I don't know how many people say what your favorite movie of yours is, but yours for me is Return of the Killer Tomatoes. And he was laughing hysterically. I was like, it's so good. <laughs> but uh, it was like that with uh, with the voice actors as well. It's like, oh my gosh, you were in this. Oh, and Excellent. Well, we're going to move on from Lost Odyssey now to, I think, one of the games people are probably here to listen to this podcast about. <laughs> we're going to finally get into... Uh, a, a series I don't think many people know you about. Uh, maybe uh, maybe a famous series called Monster Hunter. I don't know. Let's listen <laughs> to the music and then we'll be able to find out. So let's listen to some music and dive straight into it. So, dun, 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 dun. I, I, I actually don't know the music that you put in there, but I can't imagine it's anything different. It will probably, it would have probably been that one. Um, Get your blood I, pumping. I think this, I think this next game uh, doesn't need any introductions, really, in terms of who you are and obviously choosing it. It originally released in Japan in September of 2013, a long time ago now, as Monster Hunter 4. It then came out as Monster Hunter 4G in Japan in 2014, a year later. And then finally, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate in February of 2015, last year, alongside the new Nintendo 3DS, which is a great little console. It's the action role-playing game developed and published by Capcom. And it's Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. Adam! That's wonderful ultimate. Come on, get hype. It's so good. <laughs> okay, so I mean, I love Monster Hunter, right? And there's there's several yeah. Monster Hunter games. So people are probably wondering why first out of the gate I would be choosing Monster Hunter for Ultimate as the one I would bring. Yes. Um, so the I'll I'll be very brutally honest. The first thing that came to my mind is because I take things so seriously when you said deserted island. I thought to myself, I have to be, it has to be something that I have to play for a long time. And yeah. all the Monster Hunters can do this. But because of the G rank, which is sort of like the end game um, difficulty level in Monster Hunter for Ultimate, there's certain items that only have a 2% drop rate. Uh, and when, if you've ever simulated this, even on like Excel, you can do this in VBA or macros. If you ever have something that has like a 2% rate and you have a lot of selections, it just by the pure nature of the random numbers, you could draw from a hat a hundred times and not pull it. And then yeah. there's times where you'll pull it three times in a row. <laughs> it's just the nature of the beast, right? Yeah. So I was absolutely. thinking, 
Monster Hunter for Ultimate had so much content and so many of those items that I think I could play it until I die trying to make everything because I'm sure the desire sensor in the game would lock me out of some item and then I'd find myself busy for an entire week hunting the same monster. So that's the first thing that came in my my mind (laughs) when you said Deserted Island in a game. I was like, for Ultimate. (laughs) There's certain monsters I can't get their rare drops and if I had to get all, like, the whole set of them, that would take me a very long time. But I'd have fun. I don't think I can even ask you any questions about this. You are the expert on this, and it just seems like perfect for who you are and for the idea of the show being on a deserted island. Monster Hunter is one of those games that you could play indefinitely, forever. Yes. Not not even just to gain all the items, just for going on quests and having oh, yeah. an adventure and getting up to like G rank and trying to defeat all the later monsters in the game. Um, and four ultimate seems to be like the pinnacle of almost like the apex of Capcom yeah. perfecting the Monster Hunter formula after like twelve years of Monster Hunter games. Yeah, four ultimate sort of like you covered all the bases, right? It had the most unbelievable. Like, it, it, there's never been a story integrated so deeply in a Monster Hunter game before. Yeah. So the story was really well done, and great shout out to eight four and the translators. Uh, the English was great as well for the English yeah. version. Um, actually a lot more fun than the Japanese version <laughs> when it comes to that <laughs> regard. Um, but it had story, it had huge amounts of content, and when they added the verticality to the system, it changed the game entirely. And I think it it was a defining moment for the series where it took it from being just a pure, flat-out hunting action game, which to me sort of felt like Michael Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Okay. Because, you know, we all you'll often hear people talk about, you know, the enemy has tells. And you look at the tell and then you realize, okay, he's about to do like a triple punch. And so I'm going to stand back and after the third punch, I can go in there and hit him. You know, you sort of get an idea of their animations and there's little hints about what they're about to do. So it used to be like a flat ground, right? You would just be there with the monster. You yeah. can run around, look for an opening, hit him, get out. And it was kind of like a, it's almost meditative, right? You're getting in, out, in, out. And you have, it's almost like rounds of boxing. It's like, okay. Round two went well, now he got mad, here's round three, and then you get him. But they added verticality, which totally changed the game, because now it felt more like an action game, okay. so to say. Because yeah. you can you can jump off things, all of a sudden the battles weren't as scripted. Um, and they're not scripted by any means, they don't get that the wrong way, it's just, if you are, there's only so many variations of how a hunt can feel when it's on flat terrain. Yeah. And the background all becomes just a visual candy. There's really not a huge difference if you're in an open area between one area and the next. Um, but this game totally changed that. So there was little ledges you can jump off of. You can mount the monsters. You can hide behind stuff. There was so much you can do that I think it they really defined the concept of the game. Where hunters can be, you know hunt in a way that they wanted to hunt. And you wouldn't find two users who were identical. And every hunt felt very different and I mean, what better game to have with you than a game that feels fresh every time out of the it, gate? Uh, it's it's funny. I pay, obviously with the uh, new Nintendo XL coming out. Well, the new Nintendo oh. 3DS coming out last year. Um, uh, one of the big things was obviously the Majora's Mask uh, release. But I remember watching for so long Monster Hunter Four Ultimate videos, being like, "This game is going to be so good. It's going to be fantastic." <laughs> Watching you play as well, um, 4G, um, and being like, this is going to be so good. I remember just being like, okay, so I've got Majora's Mask, and now I have Monster Hunter. You're I'm done. Gonna, I'm going to play Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I I sank so much. I obviously played Freedom Unite. I had uh, three Ultimate on the Wii U. I didn't think like three U was very good. Like I don't know. I didn't click with the I, Wii U I, version of yeah that game I think, very much. I think three U was the final form of what the second and third generation represented for the series. So. I mean, it was fun. It was good if you knew what you were doing, but yeah. it was still hard to approach. Um, but the underwater was fun for some people. Um, but I think from flat terrain combat, I think it was the core mechanic was it had hit its peak creatively. Yeah. Um, and it obviously needed to graduate and go on to something else. So and then I can see had... where a lot of people would have a hard time getting into that game. But it's it's a very good game. It's just it's not very approachable. It was like the it was definitely the sort of. The final game of the generation of Monster Hunter games that came, like all the PSP games, um, yeah. all the games that had been extremely popular in Japan, because this is a series that has been extremely popular in Japan for a very long time now. Yeah. And then we had For You, uh, which oh. is this game that was like Monster Hunter on an international scale. Accessibility and the idea of having all these different variants, like... I remember playing for you and being like, oh, I can like climb up vines to go to higher <laughs> levels and then I can like slap monsters down into holes, down into the lower levels and then jump on them from there and then mount them and then stab them in the head. And then, oh, I'll, I'll never forget. I'll never forget when they showed off the proof of concept when they first announced that they were working on it. And it was a, a short video of a hunter being chased by, I think, a Tigrex and a Rathalos jumping off things and, and environments being destroyed and People are looking at it like, that's really cool, but there's no way they're going to pull that off. And then we find out that that was like a prototype. That was actually running real time. Like <laughs> that, they had it and they got it and they did it so well. They did. And it's just, it's so scary, I think, for series games like this to do something that changes the fundamentals that big. Like you look at Pokemon or other games, like they'll integrate and, you know, and they'll iterate on the concept, but they won't make any radical changes, obviously, no. right? But unless took- unless it, it's a spinoff. The yeah, only way they'll experiment ju- mm. is by making a spin-off game and being like, if this game doesn't do as well as a main series, then that's fine. We tried our experiments. Let's see if people like it, but yeah. let's not touch with the main formula. Yeah, but this one, they totally did it. And so they were brave, and I think it paid off big time. Because if you look at the sales figures, Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate, I think, like, reports, I think it probably only sold a few hundred thousand copies in the West, even though it was adored by many people. For Ultimate yeah. sold over a million units in the West. I think I think it's almost like two like million. Two point two million, I think. As yeah, of we're, just we're the talking end of like twenty fourteen. Yeah, we're talking like thirty, forty percent. You know, I think thirty. I could be wrong, but it's like it's over twenty five percent of the entire global sales is the West. That's insane. So the series really took off, and I'm so happy that it did because it really deserves it. It it and it spawned this community almost kind of like it reminds me a lot of like this the street fighter community this sort of capcom based um hardcore community that get together and have these huge events where (laughs) everyone and that's the beauty of monster hunter as well is you can you can play with anyone you can have them come along and you can even if you're uh, extremely high rank you can you know choose lower equipment sets and go on right. like lower rank quests and help people out and teach them uh, there's no barrier for entry in any way as soon as yeah. you get like the guild unlocked and you can go on quests online the world's your oyster honestly it's yeah. so, it's fantastic and I mean the beauty of the game obviously is the multiplayer component is all cooperative it's not competitive at all a very Japanese thing. Which is awesome. 
Um, so, I mean, and it's just, there's so much to do that I think every hunter can contribute in some way. Yeah. Um, so, and it, because of the, the cooperative community, everybody just wants everybody else to perfect their art, to get better, to enjoy the game. So the community is unbelievable. Like, I, I, if the community wasn't what it is, I don't think I would have tried to get so active in it. Okay, yeah, that's understandable. Because, I mean, when I started, it was just me blogging to myself. Um, but obviously, I was engaging and, and learning a lot from the community. I'm still learning a lot from everybody. Like, you name it. Um, there's there's good content everywhere. Yeah. And then I said, this is a community I, I want to try to be a part of. Um, and so, I yeah, it's... What what can you not say about Monster Hunter for Ultimate in the series, right? It's it's the it, ultimate game. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, and this is probably uh, uh, an obvious, yeah, it's a question that's definitely been asked before. Obviously, you've been making these videos for a long time, uh, well, two years now. Um, you you have become this synonymous figure within the Monster Hunter community and Monster Hunter itself. You uh, had the hashtag MHX for the West as well. <laughs> Uh, you have your little t-shirt and you've been going to events and uh, meeting Sujimoto-san. Go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to say, like, has there never been the opportunity for you to be a part of Monster Hunter development? Has there been something that's come along, but you're like, no, I'm happy where I am. I enjoy what I do as Gaijin Hunter. No, um, a lot of people, um, I guess there's a few things I'll talk about, but one of them is some people think that I work for Capcom. I don't. <laughs> you do not. No, you do not. I, I don't talk about my, my day job, but I do not work at Capcom. Um, and a lot of people think I do. And I, I guess I can see why. Because I, I probably sound like a PR guy sometimes <laughs> talking about that. I guess I'm so in love with it. Um, but no, I don't work for them. Um, however, I through, I've been so fortunate that I've gotten to interact with the team a lot in you know ever since I started. Yeah. So whether it was under, you know, messing around with the Loke team, which was 8-4 at the time. Um, now I, I know some of the Loke members, and they're all wonderful people. Um, or the community managers, obviously, like Jake and Yuri, are engaging with not just me, but a lot of people. They're just, they're very, they embrace their role as community role. Yeah. Um, but I've been really fortunate to uh, sort of know them. So I they've been very kind to give me some tips off in the game and, and mention me. But I don't, I don't work for them. So when I did like an unboxing video, that's just me buying figures and unboxing them. I, I don't get sponsored by them. I don't get paid or items from them. So it's been uh, it's been really funny. People thinking that uh, thinking that I work with them, and so I haven't had the opportunity to get involved with the development because obviously I'm very happy with my current job. So I never went out looking, and they've never asked. Um, however, uh, I like it that way. Um, it's it's kind of my it's it's my hobby. I can say and do whatever I want. And if it was your job, then you would have you know obviously you'd have to think about marketing timetables, how you release information, speculations that you can't do. That wouldn't be as fun for me. It sort of goes back to the Lost Odyssey thing, isn't it? Like, you love Lost Odyssey and are happy to have not been involved in the development of that for fear of making (laughs) that game worse or potentially better than it was. Yes. Um, And I think it's the same with Monster Hunter. You are this separate identity, but I feel like you as your persona makes up that that of what's so good about monster hunter there 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 is the game and there is all the uh obviously the elements that come from capcom but i think what makes monster hunter so special 
is the community and yeah, is the, mm. the watching Gaijin's latest video <laughs> and talking about it and then being like, oh, let's go try this and all these different things. Well, the, one of the things I love about Monster Hunter, and this is tr- definitely true for, for Ultimate, is that although your game time says that you've been playing for, let's say, a thousand hours, you've been playing for two. Because when you're not playing Monster Hunter, you're playing Monster Hunter. You're on the forums reading about stuff. You're yeah. watching videos. You're talking to people online about it. You're you're making plans on simulating your armor sets. Um, you're looking for stuff to do. So it's like when you're not playing the game, you're playing the game. And when you get the game in your hand, it's almost like now I can finally execute on everything that I've been talking about and, and thinking about and doing. So it just it gets in your head and you can't get it out. Like you're at work and you can't focus. You go yeah. the moment you go on lunch, you're like, it's time to play. You go home, <laughs> it's time to play, and you can't sleep and it just takes over your life. And for a game that takes over your life, to have such a warming, helpful community is uh, it's I, I I often say that one of the greatest features that you could even put on the back of the box of Monster Hunter is the community. There's just so many amazing people out there and everybody contributes in their own way right like you'll have people who are just very helpful helping people on twitter there's people on game facts or reddit or youtube like myself there's people in all different sorts of forms and whether it's high-end production or low-end everyone's out there just sharing the love right and trying yeah. to help other people and that nothing beats that I, I, absolutely nothing. there are there are many game communities out there that can be because they're competitive just full of elitists right full of elitists but also quite toxic in a way ah uh, yeah not helpful people trying to learn trying to get in it's like oh you don't know how to do this well maybe no. just uninstall and, and go away yeah. uh, whereas monster hunter is this very japanese idea and japanese people don't like playing competitive games apart from like the birth of arcade like street fighter and that kind of stuff but most of the time, Japanese people like being cooperative. They like playing together. And Monster Hunter is the uh, the prime example of that. It's a game where it's all about helping each other, all about being a team. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. I know this isn't Monster Hunter, but in Japan, I've noticed that a lot of Japanese people have taken to Overwatch. And yes. I think it's the same thing is that it's such a cooperative environment like Splatoon as well, where the experience is more about being in a team and working with people than it is like I won, you know? Um, yeah. And I think games like that, I, I don't want to say it's a Japanese thing, but I, I, like, I like it. I mean, from just a humanistic perspective, I think more games should embrace that. Um, I really like the idea of players coming together. I think it builds for great community. Yeah. And it just is, it just flows out of the Monster <laughs> Hunter series a lot. And it's, but I'm so, so fortunate for Monster Hunter for Ultimate, though. Because um, like you said, outside of my other stuff, like this is sort of like my, my second job, in a way. But I, I do it's, <laughs> it's It's fun. Um, and people don't know, but I... Well, a lot of you guys who, who listen to me definitely know this, but I'm... Obviously, I'm 35, so I have a full-time job that keeps me very busy, like full-time and a half. Um, I'm also a father of a daughter who is... I want to say she's seven, but I think she's six. I'm. It's, it's, <laughs> I just woke up, so like my head is flying. Um, An extremely cool daughter. If anyone who follows she's amazing. Gaijin on Twitter, uh, you probably, your daughter is huge into Monster Hunter as well. Seven years old. Sorry, I'm she not is. a bad father. I just woke up. That's all. <laughs> she is huge into Monster Hunter as well. She uh, likes the the cuter side, so the feline uh, village where it's like all the the cats, and it's a very cute game. Yeah, she's into that, and I'm gonna try to play Stories, which is a Japanese game coming up. Yeah, um, 
but yeah, like for ultimate is, is sort of what got me. I don't want to say big because I don't consider myself big or, or, or wonderful or anything like that, but it's certainly what got me started and is what propelled me into having an audience for my fandom is how I think about it. People who are actually, for some reason or not sticking around to listen to me geeking out. <laughs> and to me, that makes me so happy. And, um, and, and again, I'm, I'm actually socially shy. So being able to have interactions with people and get comments and stuff has been life changing for me. And it's been giving me a lot of confidence and, and making me very happy. So Excellent. for ultimate it has a very special place in my heart for being the game that gave birth, so to say to Gaijin Hunter, even though the, the name actually came from Monster Hunter 3G. When well, I was, I was going to ask, um, Gaijin <coughs> is probably a word many people on the internet do know. Uh, yeah, I actually in, hate the word Gaijin, believe it or not. You you say again? I actually hate the word Gaijin. Oh, me too. If you live <laughs> if you live in Japan and you're, you are Gaikokujin, you are foreigner, um, Gaijin is not a nice word. Yeah. Because when people Japanese need... people say it, they, they, they mean it in a bad way. <laughs> not, not all people, but I mean, it's just from a linguistic perspective. You could say like there's... Gaikokujin, which is like a, a literally foreigner, someone from yeah. another person. I, mean, I was going to say, Gaikokujin Hunter doesn't have the same. It doesn't, right? <laughs> so Gai, mean, Gai means outside, Koku means country. So Gaikoku means, you know, foreigner outside yeah. or non domestic. And Jin you is know, like a Jin is person, right? Yeah. And then there's, you know, the more formal, um, you know, Gaikoku no Kata, which is like a, a person from overseas. Yeah. Um, and then you have Gaijin, which is a very slang term, just say, you know, an alien or a foreigner. Yeah. Not um, Japanese. But, but because I'm so into linguistics and, and I, I love Japanese, it's very obvious that gaijin, the, the opposite, um, on the polar end of gaijin, is nakama, which means, you know, someone who's, a, you know, a buddy or on the inside. Yeah. And gaijin is an outsider. But it flows nice and it makes sense. Nakama, um, so I, nakama Hunter would have been a cool name as well, I think. Yeah, nakama Hunter. Like your, your buddy, your budding hunter. Buddy hunter. Your, yeah, your buddy hunter. Your, your, friend, your friendly hunter. Your friendly hunter, yeah. So and then so I I was th- I was blogging alone pretty much on F two C blog, and some of you who are listening may have been following me back then. So thank you. Um, but I I was thinking I need a name for this. You know I should have a name instead of just saying Hey, Adam, how you doing? <laughs> like, so I was thinking about it, it's like well I'm mainly talking about Monster Hunter news and Monster Hunter stuff in Japan, and I'm doing it in English. So it's like how do I get that across? It's like well Gaijin gives you the idea that I'm in Japan, but I'm also an English speaker. Yeah, and then Hunter, obviously, because I I love I'm doing Monster Hunter. Yeah, and that's where I came with Gaijin Hunter. I and knew it, I think I think Polygon or somebody mentioned that they thought it meant that I was very kind to people new to the series, which were kind of Gaijin to the series. Um, I love their that interpretation. Unfortunately, that's not what it was, but I I, I do like because I do feel like that. I try to be nice to people who are new to the series. Yeah. Um. Because I'm not a veteran by any means, as as I've said before. No, yeah. Um, and I'm constantly still learning from a lot of people. So um, it's that's the thing about hunting, right? It's an ongoing yeah. process. And I've talked about this on an eight four before, but one of the core tenets of Monster Hunter that I love, which I guess I could talk about a little bit later, but um, how that's changing. But uh, for the most part, when you start a Monster Hunter game, everything that your hunter can do is unlocked. Like you, you don't. You don't level up your character like an RPG. Um, you do obviously get better equipment or something like that, but your abilities are set from the start. Yeah, and, your abilities are always the same. And while your hunter may get better gear, the monsters also get stronger. So it's just upping the ante. That's all it is, and making yeah. a little bit, adding little layers of complexity. But the core is never changed from the very start. And what's leveling up is you as a person, as a hunter. 
It's not you leveling up in the game because you can fight a monster early in the game with a starting weapon. It'll take you 25 minutes. You play that weapon for 50 hours and you go back with the same weapon, the same monster. You'll complete it in half the time. Half the time. <laughs> um, if not even more. And yeah. it's because you're getting much better. And there's no greater sense of satisfaction than that. And because I work in game production, you know, we'll often have projects that take, you know, a year, two, three years or whatever. Um, so being able to, after work, to wind down and to, to have something where I can set a goal and actually yeah. achieve it within a week. Like being able, it's the, you know, you have to have a sense of accomplishment every few days to keep yourself motivated, right, as a person. So, or at least for me. So being able to set a goal and to achieve that and knowing that it wasn't by luck, it was by my hard work or my skill that I got it. That's a wonderful feeling. And you, in the game, you're obviously wearing your trophies. So every time I see that armor, I go, <laughs> I say, you know, you know, on that rainy Saturday in July, I worked my butt off and I made that. Yeah. You know, and I, it, you get very fond of the game. Yes. And it is, it's one of those games that as soon as you sort of give yourself to it, it, it kind of welcomes you in open arms and keeps mm. giving. And I think one of the special things about Monster Hunter Ultimate 4 as well, the support from Capcom for that game and the, the amount of like exclusive DLC and all, and all the stuff that came with it was constantly oh, yeah. every month this huge package of all these wonderful things that you could then go out and you didn't just get them you had to go out and work for them by defeating other monsters and yeah. on getting drops and that kind of stuff it just gave you more elements to play it, <laughs> more reasons to go out and get that armor that you want and then wear it with pride and it's one of the most uh, satisfying feelings that you can get in video games that is true well I think that I think many people who have followed you for a long time are going to have enjoyed listening to that an, <laughs> an extremely uh, large amount. Um, but we're going we're gonna to dive into another game now. Um, we've spoken a lot about Monster Hunter. And I think we're going to speak about it a little bit more as well. Yes. Uh, for a very new reason. So we're going to listen to some music that's very similar to the music you heard before. <laughs> <laughs> so let's listen to some music and dive right into it. So, that was some very similar music you might have just heard, and uh, if you are a fan of Monster Hunter, you will, of course, know. Uh, we are going to talk about another Monster Hunter game now. How uh, can I go an island and only take one, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, um, Adam, how many hours do you reckon? If you could, because the, there is that old saying that 10,000 hours and you become a professional of something. You are like... <laughs> Do you reckon you've hit that 10,000-hour barrier 
No, ten. I mean, if I've I've only been playing for four and a half years, so ten thousand hours would be, I would that would be my full time job. Okay, so maybe just <laughs> or maybe more. about five. 000. No, so um, in Monster Hunter Three, I put in about thirteen hundred hours. In Monster Hunter, between four four G uh, and four U, because it's all pretty much the same game. Yeah. Um, I think I put in. I want to say twelve hundred. Um, but I guarantee you, making tutorials, there's probably another three hundred hours that I just didn't save my game. <sighs> Oh, wow. Um, and then I went back while waiting for Monster Hunter 4, and I played about 50 hours of Freedom Unite. I played about 200 hours of Portable 3rd. Um, so I think series-wise, I'm over 3,000 hours, and I've put in... Uh, well, we'll talk about some other games coming yeah. up. But yeah, I've put in probably about 3,000 hours, so <laughs> wow. still still learning. Still learning, but a huge amount. And it's only going to grow because this next game that we're going to talk about, of course, is the newly released uh, game from Capcom. It released in Japan last November as Monster Hunter Cross. Uh, I own it. You own it. We've played it for a while. You obviously understand Japanese way better than I do, so I didn't quite spend as much time playing this. So I was very excited for yesterday when it got released. It's the new game that got released, Monster Hunter Generations. Adam, the second game, the second Monster Hunter game you're going to be taking is Generations, of course. <laughs> Generations, absolutely. We've spoken so, a lot, yeah, so we've spoken a lot about Monster Hunter. Um, so let's talk specifically about Generations then. And you can tell there are going to be a lot of people out there who are going to be like, shall I get Generations? I'm sort of, I've only yeah. just got it. Tell them why Generations is going to be perfect for a deserted island and for the next few months over the summer to play. So Monster Hunter Generations, I think, most simply put, is the best Monster Hunter experience ever. I, it, it sounds corny as all get out, but it's absolutely true. They've... In the game of Monster Hunter, you generally have like 14 weapons, right? Yeah. And because of the nature of the weapons, there's generally one or two ways that you want to approach the weapon and play it. And that's fine. And people work on perfecting that method, right? Yeah. If it's a great sword, I'm going to perfect the method of preempting an attack, getting in there, charging up, and hitting him when he turns his head towards me, and stuff like that. And that's fine, and that's always been addicting. They've now taken that concept and added in the hunter styles. And the hunting styles completely changes the game um, to the point where you would, you wouldn't be wrong if you said that there's 56 weapons in the game um, because there's four styles for each weapon and that combined with these hunter arts which are like special attacks that you can put together literally there's unlimited combinations of how you can approach and play the game and the whole marketing concept here was how do you hunt like what what how do you personally hunt how do you use this weapon um, and I think they pulled it off unbelievably well where they've now created a game that you can have self-expression, which is has always been kind of a limiting thing, but people have still found ways to do it. Um, but now there's self-expression in the game, and it has everything that was good about every Monster Hunter game all put together. Some people may not know this, but if you read the localization blogs from Capcom, you'll know that the code name for this game was Festa, um, because it was meant to be an anniversary title for the series. Okay. And it was supposed to be a celebration of everything they've ever done up to this point. So it's got, you know, everyone's, not all of them, but they've got most of everyone's favorite monsters, almost all the maps and stages from all the other games, villages from the past games, quests from the past games. It's just an overload. It's just loaded to the brim of content. And just the, just playing it is such a joy. Um, it's it's not meant where you're supposed to go in with one weapon and, and sort of master it and play only that. This game 
with open arms encourages you to play not only the one weapon but in other styles and other ways different approaches other weapons and it makes it so accessible to do so it's just it's the ultimate hunting tool it's, i can think of no better way to explain it it's certainly and obviously the reviews for the western vision of the game have been coming out and um former guest of the show uh, mr richard stanton excellent reviewer freelance reviewer um he wrote the review for i think it was the guardian and he was explaining how it just is the 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 pinnacle of everything monster Hunter. everything you've you've that they've uh, introduced over the series uh has all accumulated into this one celebration of everything it is literally the it is what what i feel when i'm playing the game is that this is the realization of the core concept of the game this is exactly what they were going for in every way um Beyond adding more monsters and more weapons, I can think of no way to improve the game at the core. I think they've mastered the formula to a point where I think that if they expand on this series, which is it's actually technically not a main title, it's they're considering a spin-off in Japan. If they continue the spin-off like the, the Street Fighter Alpha they've compared it to, then I'm happy if they continue this game and add more monsters and stuff like that. Who knows if they will? But I, it's, it's so perfected that if they were to make a next main Monster Hunter, like Monster Hunter 5... I think they would need to have a big change to the core concept in order for it to work because this is such a complete finalized product. So then let's sort of talk about that then. Where cuz I've been watching some videos of yours about you playing Monster Hunter online, which is the Chinese MMO. Yeah, which is surprisingly really good. I think Capcom's been supervising that and I think they've done a good job and for free to play, you you can't complain. It's actually there's some really forward-thinking ideas in that game, but um, it's still the old style gameplay, though. Yeah, because that's um, so, been going. Because that's been in and out of beta and alpha from like 2013. So that's yeah. a game that is that's been it, around it, for a while. Yeah, it's. Hmm? Oh yeah. So I mean, it's fun and it's really good and it's free to play, but it's hardly what I would want Monster Hunter Five to be, so to say. Okay. I, I, it looks gorgeous. Like I wouldn't. I, that's I what wouldn't, I was going to say. It looks. I would not demand gorgeous. it. I would not demand anything even near that level or above that level. So it hits the marks when it comes to visual presentation, but it's the gameplay. that It's going back to third generation um, in that game. So it's still fun, but after you've had the taste of 4 Ultimate and the taste of Generations, it definitely leaves something lacking. But that being said, for a free-to-play game and you know an online game like that, with an, even outside of Japan, it's Tencent making it. They've done a fantastic job. Yeah. Um, so that's good and all, but it's generations, man. Like this is where it's at. <laughs> so this is the, for, forgive me here, the new generation. Of it is, Santa. and <laughs> I would love to. I would love to talk a little bit about the hashtag because you were mentioning that earlier. Yes, please do. Yeah. Um. So I was. They had a gathering of hunters. They called it. It was a event here in Japan, where it was a stage event, where they were doing some performance and they were doing some other stuff. Um, and you had to sort of get a raffle to be able to buy a ticket, and I got it, and I actually video blogged it. Um, but it was a it was an event down here in Tokyo where they announced Monster Hunter Cross for the first time, and they announced it last summer. Um, and at the event, when I first saw the trailer, like I was shaking; it was just so crazy. <laughs> um, and I I was I had my phone out, even though they said not to, and I said, "Go for it, guys!" And I I started the hashtag right there. And the whole point behind that hashtag was in obviously Monster Hunter has been growing and popular in the West. Four Ultimate did really well. Um, but in up to this point, they've been waiting until the final expansion pack, so to say. Someone was explaining this yesterday on stream, and it was a good way of explaining what the G games are, or the Ultimate games are. 
and they're always kind of like an expansion pack for the game. You get like Monster Hunter 4, and it's a great game. Yeah. Then they add the ex- the huge expansion pack, which is like double the content, and that's the G version. So in Japan, if you had the original version, your save data just carries over completely because it's the expansion pack. And it adds in like super hard difficulty and a few new monsters and stuff like that. Um, in general, in the past at least, the West, because Monster Hunter has never been very big there, you would have to wait you know, several years until that final expansion came out, and then they would release it as the ultimate game in the West. Yeah. They did that with Monster Hunter. I th- actually, I think they released Try, actually, in the West. Um, so it's a little bit different there. I just, they they could, released Try for the Wii, didn't they? And then it was like... Yeah. But you could almost feel that it would not be outside of common thought that they would try to do this for Monster Hunter Cross as well. I, yeah. Who knows? I don't even know if they're even going to be an ultimate version of this. Who knows? They haven't announced anything, but... My fear was, I saw the momentum growing in the West, obviously through both my channel, but also the community as well, and the sales. Yeah. The series finally has the momentum that it needs for the West, right? And I really want the game to succeed as well as it can, because it deserves it. And the last thing I would want is for a Japanese company not to understand that. And then some guys in a boardroom meeting saying, Huh? Release? Localized? Monster Cross? No, 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 we'll just wait a few years and we'll do an ultimate version. We'll, re- we'll release that. And then the momentum would literally just sit there and die out because we would have no new game. Um, and that was my fear. So I thought, well, a hashtag's not going to change what a company's going to do. However, if someone who's trying to pitch localizing this game is in a room and some of the execs or someone saying, like, ah, there's really not a lot of interest for it. Like, I think we can wait on it and sit on it. Maybe we can give them a little bit of firepower to say, no, the community is actually quite behind this. And and it was both for that reason and also knowing that whether or not they were going to localize it or not, we wouldn't know. Um, but if anything, it would be, if if on the off chance they were localizing it, a hashtag would sort of motivate the team that's working on it. Yeah. That, that the West is very much behind it and they really want it. So it would give them meaning for going to work every day and working their butts off for, you know, half a year and no one knowing what they're doing because it's not announced and that's tough i've done that and it's it's nice as a game developer or or production to know that people are looking forward to the work that you're working on people out there are waiting there they are you guys going to work is what we're waiting for we are waiting to see all the hard work that you're doing yeah and there's a lot of overtime and hard work so it's it's nice so the hashtag was meant to be both and also to raise awareness of the game because it's so amazing so I wanted to do those three things. So raise awareness, help Capcom know that we want it, and also uh, support the team. And I think it worked really well. Um, I'm very happy. Uh, I got, obviously, um, I did a fundraiser, um, and I said, well, if you guys want me to go all the way up north to Sendai. <laughs> which um, is a far away. <laughs> which, to demo the game, because at the time I was uh, I was struggling a little bit financially on, on finding extra money because I obviously had a I've been buying a lot of equipment for YouTube. Yeah. Um, and I just couldn't justify saying, yeah, I'm going to spend like, you know, six, $700 to go there and film it. So I just said, well, if people really want to see it, I will give them what they pay for. You know, if you want to donate a, a little bit of money, I'll go up there. And people came through and donated a lot. And it was great. And I went up there and I made the t-shirt, the Monster Hunter Cross for the West. <laughs> and um, I met Kojima-san and I got to talk to him and got a great photo of it. Um, it was just a, an unbelievable experience. Um, so and the whole hashtag campaign, it, it wasn't me or anybody else who, who got that decided, but I'm sure we helped in some way, yeah. some positive way. So I'm very happy we did it. 
and now we are July 2016 and oh. it has been released and I think oh, so thanks, awesome. thanks to 4 Ultima as well and the fan base that they grow that Generations has had huge hype around it and oh yeah people have been building up and building up for a while now um so I started and it's, it's it. gonna live up to that hype too and that's the great ah, thing excellent so I started playing it last night I was like okay I'm speaking to Adam today I'm really <laughs> excited about it I'm gonna get a few hours in so I did a few uh rank one quests obviously very nice. starting out I picked up the Insect Glaive again. It was my main weapon in nice. 4 Ultimate. I watched, I, I spoke to Adam, and Adam was like, watch my video, you know, watch the video, and it, I, it'll show you all about it. And so I did, and I was like, oh, aerial-style Insect Glaive sounds it's like so, so much fun. So starting all these quests and just slinging myself across the uh, <laughs> across the map. So Slingshot. Just, we've, got, we've still got uh, four other games to talk about, but oh, wow. before we move on from Monster Hunter... Um, yeah. Generations is out. Obviously, your main uh, thing is tutorials and giving people advice. Maybe uh, could you give a quick few tips or a few uh, mm, things to do while starting Generations for those people who are playing over the next uh, first week of the game being out? Hmm. I mean, it's kind of hard because you have two groups. You have people who are new to the series and you have people who are not new to the series. Um but uh, my one big advice I want to give all players of the game is to not misunderstand styles. Uh, a lot of people are going, okay, I'm definitely going, you know, aerial insect lay. That's going to what I'm playing all game. Yeah, it's not. It's not meant to be that. Um, you can certainly main it, and it can be your main go-to. But the way they've designed the game is that, you know, depending on the monster, you might switch to adept style, or you might switch to aerial style, or you might go and do striker. It all depends on the monster, your mood. You name it, right? So the the styles are meant to be interchangeable, like an armor set that you change them in between hunts, uh, however you want. Okay, you see, you're I not meant to pick that. one and okay. just run with it. You're not okay. leveling up just that style or anything like that. So, yeah. um, outside, obviously, you should you should try other weapons, which I always ask people to do because I think you're you're losing out. You're only playing one fourteenth of the game if you're only playing one <laughs> weapon. Because if you pick up a second weapon, people who've done it know the game is completely different, and it's it's unbelievably fun. Like. Great sword is preemptive combat, um, but if you go into like dual blades, it's reflexive combat. So yeah. you're you're not preempting; you're moving before or with the monster. It changes everything, and it's it's incredibly refreshing. Um, so my advice is not only to pick up different weapons, but to try all the styles and use them, interchange them. Um, that's how they're meant to be used. Um, and one of the things like some people may not know is that they've lowered the difficulty a little bit compared to Monster Hunter for Ultimate. Um, the reason why they've done that is, I mean, it's still obviously challenging and the end game stuff is challenging, but instead of doing maybe in four ultimate, it was 15 to 20 minute hunts. It's going to be more like seven to 12 minutes. Um, the reason why they did that is because there's 56 combinations of weapon and style. And there's also the prowler, the cats who I'm playing a whole lot of, um, you really wouldn't be encouraged to experiment if every hunt was demanding and took forever you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So they've yeah. lowered the bar a little bit so that it makes it a little bit more free for you to experiment and to find new styles, new meta, new ways that you want to play, new weapons you want to try out. So my suggestion is experiment and just have fun. Excellent. Well, there, you've heard it. Generations is going to be a game I'm going to be playing all week. Uh, I have a few days off this week, so I'm going to be grinding hard uh experimenting a lot i want to try lots of different the the styles system is 
the to me is just such the smartest of ideas like you've got all the 14 weapons some people they uh are naturally warming to some weapons and then don't like other weapons uh yeah. i myself i really like stuff like the insect glaive with like fast sweeping combat also with a kind of like a a small little niche about it with the insects and, and buffing yeah. yourself with uh, all the different extracts um and then i'm i don't get on so well with maybe the switch axe or the great sword with like these heavy preemptive mm. weapons as you said where you really have to be smart i like getting in there and just <laughs> slinging myself at monsters and attacking as much as possible but then being able to then have the styles and switch it up and then try all these different things with all the different weapons is incredible. Oh, yeah. Smart. Like, I mean, you take just really fast. Like, if you took Aerial Greatsword, for example, that's super aggressive. That's you, you're acting before the monster does. You're, you're, you're just pounding it in. Yeah. That's the whole. So it's very different from how you would play a guild style greatsword. Yeah. Um, and Adept is, is uh, reflexive. So if a monster, it's how I always think about the game, the weapons. It's either uh, preemptive, reflexive, or and stuff like that. So it's okay. just, just it's different. It's fun. Well, we're gonna move on from Monster Hunter now. But as no, always, no. <laughs> if you can, if you've enjoyed this conversation about Monster Hunter, and I sure you have, and many of you are probably already big Monster Hunter fans already, do remember to check out Adam's videos. Because they are superb. They help a lot of people get into Monster Hunter. And he breaks it down to very understandable and digestible. Uh, like Being able to just understand. And so, good job, Adam. <laughs> Thank you. I will continue well, trying to do better, yeah. Yeah. So, we're going to talk about more games personal to you now. So, we're going to move on yes. from Monster Hunter and the, this life-changing game and series that <laughs> is a big part of your uh, life. So, we're going to move on to some... Um, more games that you enjoy as well. So we can don't run to... away, guys. There's some cool games coming. Yeah, do not go. Do not go. There are there are four excellent games, including one I don't know anything about. Um, so we're going to move straight into some listening to some excellent music from this next game. So Adam, we've moved away from Monsanto now. We're moving into <laughs> we're moving into a very different genre. We're moving into racing, um, racing, but more arcade and more arcadey. They involve carts. One of the most famous kart racing series of all time, of course. This is a game developed by Nintendo EAD team and produced by, obviously, Miyamoto-san himself. It was for the Nintendo 64 and it released in Japan in December of 1996 and then a year later in 1997 for America and Europe. It's also on the virtual console for the Wii and, most recently, the Wii U earlier this year in January. It's Mario Kart 64. Adam, out of all the Mario Karts, why Mario Kart 64? Okay, so Mario Kart 64 came out when I was in high school. Okay. Um, 
I was 16 at the time, so I was just getting out of middle school into high school. So, you know, when you're in high school, it's kind of like those games define who you are, so to say, because you're in that sort of soul-searching phase of your life. Yes. Um, so I have, when I think about my childhood, I think about Final Fantasy VII, VI, VII, and 64 when I think about high school. So Mario, I was having a hard time in school. Um, I, there's a few things I'll talk about, sorry. Um, I was, I, I, me and school didn't get along. Um, I got picked on, not like horribly bad compared to some people, but it wasn't a very enticing place for me to be. Okay. Um, yeah. So video games was a very great way for me to find acceptance and to, to run away. Yeah. And Mario Kart 64, not only is it unbelievable, I mean, and the one thing I loved about that game was that the Nintendo uh, 64 controller is so good for that game. It feels so good doing the drifts. Um, I got really into the game. Um, so much that I actually won... Um, a regional blockbuster video championship for speed attacks, <laughs> and I wow. even submitted. I even submitted times. I think to Nintendo Power. I was I was really good at um, at time attacking that game. Um, but Mario Kart 64, yeah, I can think of no other racing game that I've played so much. Even all the other Mario Karts afterwards, I've played them and I've enjoyed them, but not as much as 64. 64. I th- I don't know if it was the first game that introduced the power drift, where you did like a left and right on the analog stick while you're drifting in order to do a power boost yeah it, it may have been the first one but it was it, i just loved it i mean i can't think of any other game that i've had that much fun with um and being able to hold my own i was very insecure at the time and you know uh, although i was good at music and i felt good about that this was the other place in my life that i felt that i was i was an expert i was good yeah, at it I'm, and, and it was king, just so much I'm fun the king of this yeah, I no think one I had can the, take this I, away from me. I had the record for the ghost level. I think it was like a minute and three seconds. Oh, I hate that. Um, it was fast. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that game so much. It's it's so good. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you've played it. Oh, absolutely. This uh, being ten years younger than you, uh, this was around the time when I was in elementary school. So, I oh was, wow! But I'd played a little. I'd I'd been very lucky to sort of grow up uh, and be able to have access to like a Super Nintendo and a Sega Genesis for you, Mega Drive for me, um, very early on. But it was when I was around about six, seven years old when I got a Nintendo sixty four. I didn't get, have a PlayStation, so Nintendo for me have mm. always been the staple in my life. I had a PlayStation 2, obviously a super console, but the Nintendo 64 and the games on the Nintendo 64 oh, are so incredibly good. important to me, and they are like the IO being where I am in terms of how I feel about video games thanks to the Nintendo 64 and the enjoyment I had. And one of those is playing uh, Mario Kart 64 with my my brother and my sister, um, we I have... gotta admit, I, ha- I have a lot of bruises thanks to this game, <laughs> because my brother would get very frustrated if I was winning and he he he'd punch me or well, luckily... yeah, like punch me in the in the foot or something. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, I was the oldest, so uh, no bruises nice. for me, just bruises given. Just just <laughs> laughing, right? <laughs> well, my brother, my brother was very good actually. He is two years younger than me, but we were both very very good at Mario Kart. Probably not as good as you, regional winner. Mister, <laughs> but Mario Kart 64 is extremely important to me as well, and it's just such a good game. The music, the yeah, everything about it, the presentation, the weird, strange 3D graphics to the strange 2D Mario paper cutouts mm. that appear on the screen, which is, still makes me laugh watching videos of it today. Um, but it's such an excellent game, and the tracks were excellent as well. Um, it's so good, and can you imagine? Like I never thought about it at the time. 
But I don't even think there was loading times in that game. Now that I think back in my memory, I'm thinking that's a game where you just play, play, die, play, die, play, and you didn't really have to wait or, or worry about anything. It was, it was like so you, well. if you fall, if you fall off, it would like fade to black for like a second, and then you would have like yeah. to pick you and drop you off almost instantaneously. And when you were in the menus, uh, when you select like an option, yeah. it would just like uh, side left transition into the next. Mm. It was really really quick, and there was Smooth. maybe three screens before you were actually in the game. One of the things I really liked about 64 was at the the time attack phase. Yeah. There was all these really hard to do shortcuts in the game. Yes. <laughs> um for example, like and they were so severe that every time you pulled it off, you felt really good. So if you remember like there was the Yoshi's Valley. Yeah. And you had at the end you had that loop, like it was like a half circle loop at the end <sighs> going back up, and if you timed it just right, you can hit a mushroom and jump <laughs> and and not go around that loop, right? You can just go yeah, straight forward. You can just go straight over it and go And on. you because you play the game so much, you get so good that you can do it on demand every time. But every time, like you're literally, if you mess it up just a little bit, you'd be out, and you know it, and it feels good. <laughs> was it? Feels really good. It does, and I think that was a. It's one of these things that's continued. I, I rank the Mario Kart series as one of my favorites of all time, and I think they've only consistently got better, even though they've all been good. I, I still yeah. think they just, they just keep getting better with each iteration. Um. And that's a testament to then obviously Nintendo's quality and how good the Mario Kart like idea of a, of the game. Yeah, it doesn't matter what changes they make, whether it's like flying or the zero G stuff they did in Mario Kart Eight. Um, yeah. it all continues and feels like that. Just feels so satisfying. And what people don't realize is Mario Kart sixty four was really hard. <laughs> it was like when you got to high CCs in that level, the tracks were completely unforgiving unless you knew how to drift or how to cut corners. Yeah, that game was tough. Also, I think out of all the games, I would call it the big screen experience. Where I think you generally have in high school because you're not, or or middle school, and you're not at work. Obviously, you have friends over your house, and you're chilling out or playing, right? Yeah. The the big screen experience. This is the game that defined it for me. Yeah. So, like, I loved the DS game. The DS one was great, but if I think back around '64, my fondest memories of it's on the TV, and I have my friends in the room. And we're all playing. All playing together. And, I mean, for a lot of people who are younger than me, I think that was Smash Brothers. Um, but for me, it was Mario Kart 64. Mine was, uh, luckily enough, a mix of both those games. Both nice. huge series for me. And both, like, as you said, like, very important to me as well as it was for you in that sort of difficult time of school. Um, mm. It's a great game. And a game, once again, that for a deserted island. Mm. You could play for a very long time. You can play forever, exactly. And as I said, I was thinking about replayability, but also genres. And I can think of no better racing game than Mario Kart 64. You can regain those old time attack times. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can find the old Nintendo Power with your scores in them. And uh, <laughs> then we, we can we can send it to you and you can try and beat them. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to move on from Mario Kart now to a very different type of uh, talking about genres, uh, RPG, um, and not a Japanese one. So we're going to listen to some music from this next game, and we're going to talk about it.
So Adam, the next game on your list is mm. a Western RPG, an action role-playing game that uh, has not come from Japan and doesn't involve hunting. Nice. <laughs> it's a game developed by Bioware and produced by, uh, well, published by Electronic Arts EA. It's the second in the extremely popular series, Mass Effect. It was released in 2010 and it takes place with character Mr. Commander Shepard as he tries to stop the Reaper invasion in the universe. It's Mass Effect 2. My name's Adam Ivanko, and this is my favorite RPG in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Oh, the Citadel, sorry. Oh, my gosh. Mass Effect 2. Oh, I could go on about this game. Oh, my gosh. So I've been a a big fan of Japanese RPG games um, and not a big fan when I was younger of Western RPGs. I just never really got into them. This was really defining for me, the Mass Effect series, when it came to embracing western rpgs and i was also like i don't know maybe your age you still had them but maybe kids these days don't have them but when i was growing up choose your own adventure was the book series we read yes when we were younger this, this it was something that was sort of phasing out when i was younger but i did have the choose your own adventure uh there was like a special series I forget his name, but he's... We got we to kickstart that. We got to get those back up. Well, actually, the uh, Ian Livingston, he is, a, he is a famous person in the UK. He created Games Workshop back in the day, mm. the, obviously the creators of Warhammer, Warhammer 40K. But he also was one of the creators of Eidos and the Tomb Raider series. So he's mm. the, But he also wrote um, this incredible book series of his own, which were also uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books. Oh, nice. And they had... They, I remember having this collection, like, a, you know, one of those box collections where you have like 10 books in one nice little half open box yeah uh, and they were all choose your own adventure books that he had written and he on twitter recently has been posting a lot about them so i don't know whether he's going to try something or do something mm. but maybe we'll see them yeah but mass effect 2 i mean i i tried it out in mass effect 1 i loved don't get me wrong i played the game two times you know full like i loved the game um it's just the universe right like i don't i'm not a shooter fan i'm not a big i'm not big into shooting um, I've, I've never been into really big open world games, but the Mass Effect series, the I think it's the writing. The writing was so well done yeah. um, that I got really into the universe. And that's a game that really rewards you, that if you're interested in it, I would imagine to the level of Star Wars or Star Trek, there is tons of stuff you can read on and enjoy in that game. Yeah, It just keeps giving. And Mass Effect 2, I'll never, like, to me, it's one of the best games ever made. It just... For what it set out to achieve, I can think of almost no faults. It's so good. the The battles obviously were great. The action, the shooting was, it was. It, I consider it an accessible shooter because I'm not a big shooter guy. Yeah. Um, it didn't have a whole lot of customization. It was simple enough that the average gamer could pick it up and do good. Yeah. Um, but it had enough depth that a very advanced player could find some very high level play. And even then, if you didn't particularly like the shooting, you had like the biotics, and you yeah. could experiment more with powers instead of having to shoot. Like you could uh, assist your allies while they did the shooting and you did the yeah. powers. But Mass Effect Two, if you guys don't know, and I'm sure most of you have played it, it's like the Seven Samurai almost. It's like it's 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 literally <laughs> yeah. set, it's it's set up it's set up like a space opera where you have episodes and you're you're basically tasked to go out and form a team. So instead of having this huge overarching story like Mass Effect One did, where if you didn't get into the lore, maybe you may have got lost a little bit halfway through. Mass Effect Two sets the premise out very early, and you go through these. It's almost like a TV show. Um, you go through like. This is the you know this the focus on this new character and we're gonna go to his world 
or her world. We're going to experience their story, the, the, everything about them. And at the end, they're going to join us if we do what we need to do. So each one of these characters were so beautifully, I think, created. Like they're, they're all appealing. They're very real. They've got faults. They've yeah. got they're just the writing is so superb and the execution is so good that I enjoyed it so much. I played the game six times all the way through. <laughs> I, I've never played an RPG six times all the way through. If, um, I, if you had asked me maybe three, four years ago, uh, what, what's your favorite game? I probably would have said Mass Effect 2. Um, it's so good. It's uh, an extreme. It's, it, I think maybe the only game I've ever a hundred percented, like, go, oh, like nice. got all the achievements for, uh, yeah. scanned all the planets, um, which was extremely. Are boring. you scanning scanning Uranus? <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's one. I don't know. There was something about Mass Effect Two at the time, and the way the systems worked, and the way the conversation trees worked, and just oh. everything about it is you just wanted to keep playing. And as you said, it is like episodes of a TV show. Like this episode is all about Thane. This episode is all about Morden. Like, and you remember them More again, <laughs> <laughs> and like you just remember them all in those types of. Yeah, bits like it's ah, just, there's so great. much, and there's so much personal points to it that if you wanted to jump into a character, there's so much personal dialogue you can have, and they really spent the time to do scenes that needed to be long and drawn out. They spent the time to craft them, and the dialogue was so good, and I think it set a new standard in my eyes of how storytelling could work in games. Okay, not not only because I felt that it was a better execution of the dialogue wheel and the choose your own adventure that you had from Mass Effect One. Um, which obviously a lot of games now these days have it, and they all do them very well. I think this game really defined it, at least in my eyes it did. Um, but it was also a beautiful way of how to merge two genres. I think it did such a good job, and it made so much sense. Um, but it's all about the characters when you come to these scenes. So all the characters that you assemble in that game are memorable and fun. So, so that was going no to yeah. be my next question then. Who did you romance? <laughs> and who died in the final mission for you? Who did you not treat with the respect that they survived? Well, I mean, because I played it six times, I've killed everybody. Um, okay. <laughs> Have I, you I romanced I, everyone? Have you been both male and female shepherd? Or yes, I, I've played female shepherd four times and male shepherd two times. Um, I generally play as a female in games. I, that's a weird topic and i might get some hate for that but it's not for any perverse reasons by any means um i know there's a lot of people who who are men that play as females and females who play as men yeah i think it's not because you know some people joke like well if i'm going to be staring at the behind of a character i want it to be look good it's not that at all um i think when i play a game i like to i want for me video games are an escape from reality yeah, it's a, it's a way for me to escape my, my daily life and to embrace something that is very different. And what can be more different than playing a gender that you're not? So for me, it, it makes it feel different. It also, I don't know whether it's just my personal personality, but I get very uh, protective and I get very uh, invested in the characters if they're female. Okay. Um, I also, it's it's a in a way, it's kind of role playing as well because you don't, I role play as a guy in real life. So role playing <laughs> as a girl in a video game is fresh and, and interesting. And I also like the aesthetics of a lot of uh, clothing and stuff like that for the girls. So um, it's not for perverse reasons that I do it. I just prefer to play as a girl in yeah. games. Okay. So um, who So who then, as a male, did you romance? And then as a female, who did you romance? 
Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember. It's been so long. Because the thing is, even if you play Mass Effect multiple times and you're like, this time I'm going to choose so-and-so character, you always have that one, that one character yeah. that you cannot resist. I actually didn't have that. Oh, really? For me, it was Tally. I couldn't, every time she speaks to me, I'm just like, oh, Tally, you melt uh, me, you melt me like a butter. Yes, Commander Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I had the horrible experience of playing Mass Effect 3 with a friend of mine who cared not for Tally, and then mm. the bit in Mass Effect where you sort of have to choose, in Mass Effect 3, where oh, yeah. you have to choose between the Geth and Tally's race. And yeah. uh, he chose the Geth, and Tally, oh, wow. Tally uh, unfortunately commit suicide i was like no what are you doing how could you do this to tally <laughs> you can still make love to the krogans <laughs> so uh, tally for me was always the, <laughs> the go-to <laughs> she is so sweet oh man i i never liked what's her name uh miss miss uh, supermodel super butt girl um what's her name uh starts with an m i think the the black Miranda? Miranda Miranda yeah the black yeah I was yeah. I was never a Miranda fan I always kill her I didn't like Jack or I Miranda her. to be honest I didn't like either Jack of is uh, Natalie Portman right she is the the Natalie Portman in uh, <laughs> yeah uh, she, I don't know her attitude though yeah she's, she's a punk she's she's, she's a punk. punk but in a way that you don't you think this is she's a damaged too girl for me. she's a, she's a damaged girl she's got a pass and I don't think she's ever gonna get over it yeah and she died for me multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> Let, actually in fact let's talk about that final mission then um i love mass effect 2 and i enjoyed it but the final mission i had i had a lot of fun playing but the final boss to me is a little disappointing after all this hype about the reapers coming and the hype uh, yeah. and all this stuff you basically just fight a giant terminator at the end pretty much yeah how did you feel about that sort of boss fight then I didn't mind it, to be honest. Um, I mean, in in retrospect, I probably would have wanted something a little bit more epic, but you, it was such an emotionally exhausting trip getting there already that I was actually felt a little happy that it wasn't over the top. Okay, that's understandable. Um, that and it also gave you this idea that there was a bigger, worser thing behind the curtain. Because um, if it was too grandiose, then I think the game would have too much finality to it. Okay. And so to me, I I didn't mind it. I mean, it was a little disappointing, sure, but in in the overall scheme of things, I I felt okay for me because my mind was already on. I'm doing another playthrough, so um, I I didn't care too much about uh, that. It was a little disappointing. Okay, that's that's uh, that's fine. I've spoken about Mass Effect Two, I think, once before on the show, and I don't know. For me, like it was such a, a superb game, and then to basically just by face off against a giant Terminator at the end. Yeah. Almost felt like a little bit of a cop-out, but then we're talking about a series that all three games maybe for some people have weak endings, especially the third one, uh, right. obviously, which had a lot of controversy about the ending. How did you feel about Mass Effect 3 then compared to how much you loved Mass Effect 2? <laughs> this, this, I don't know if this is going to be shocking to you. I never finished Mass Effect 3. That isn't very shocking I I, pl- I played Mass Effect 1 many, many hundreds of hours. I played Mass Effect 2 six full times. Mass Effect 3, I stopped within three hours. I didn't like it. It didn't click at all. Immediately, pull- I was pulled out of the world immediately. I didn't like it at all. It's crazy to think. Um... It's, um, I mean, for such a diehard fan, and it's on my list of eight games to bring to an island... Like the whole thing about I loved about Mass Effect, right? And you you see this in both of the first two games is that you you have this huge conflict going on, but the focus is always very personal, right? Yeah. It's yeah, it it's is. my interactions with the people here and what's going on right now 
And that all somehow ties together in some wonderful space opera that would change the world, even though we're focused on very personalized um, tasks. Yeah, yeah. Where three immediately, they tried selling like this huge scale thing. And I'm just like, I know, like that's, there's so much going on. I don't want to think about all that. Then all of a sudden I'm like thinking about worlds and, and, and the, the personal aspect I felt was lacking. And immediately I was just, I don't know what it was. It just pulled me immediately out of the world. So within three hours, I just, I was not interested to play again. And I just stopped playing. Do you have any interest of maybe giving it a second go and uh, maybe finishing it? Or is it not just really? Sort of I'm 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 pretty bad. Past? I'm pretty bad um, outside Monster Hunter, which is funny because I actually was going to sell the game. I hated it for the first eight hours. <laughs> um, so I learned my lessons. How how think. your life would have been extremely different I if you'd know. done that? Uh, I was like, I'm going to sell it tomorrow, and people were like, don't do it. And then uh, I got it. But uh, no, it's I. I think like a lot like a lot of people, first impressions are very powerful, and yeah, I think absolutely, I'm just not interested um, to go beyond. I I like the memory of Mass Effect right now, the uh, the most Mass Effect one and two, and I also bought the novels that uh, the writer Chris I can't remember his last name. He had some very nice novels, and I'm not a I don't read novels, but I read his, uh, and those were good. It felt good. I I think the series it landed in a good place for me. So if they came out with a new one, maybe I might be interested, but. I, I'm I'm content. Well, you'll see Andromeda soon enough if we ever mm. actually do see some footage from EA, which they keep holding back. Um, but yeah, Andromeda will be coming soon. So nice. that's Mass Effect. We're going to move on to your penultimate game now, Adam. Uh-huh. And it's a game I have no idea about and not many of my listeners will either because it's a Japanese-only title. Um, so we're going to listen to some music from this next game. Oh, the music. <laughs> oh, I'm expecting it to be good now. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. So let's listen to some good music and then let's talk about it. <laughs> ultimate game on your list then adam is a <laughs> japanese only release by capcom um it had a playstation 3 version and a 3ds version the one you are specifically talking about today is the 3ds version it released in 2012 uh, retail in japan it's a game called ex troopers x troopers it's a spin-off of the lost planet games i believe <laughs> Yes. And um it's it's Capcom describes it as an exhilarating manga-esque action game with cinematic shooting similar to the mm. Lost Planet games. Uh it obviously must be very good because you've chosen to take it to your deserted island. So please for one explain what it is and two why. X Troopers. Oh my gosh, the memories. Okay, so I I knew I wanted to have a shooter on here, but I already had Mass Effect 2. Um 
but I can think when I think of stylish game, I can think of no game that even comes close to the style of X Troopers. It's it literally feels like you're playing inside of a manga, um, but in a way that doesn't feel so bizarre and quirky that it takes you out. Um, okay, it's just it's it's almost impossible to describe until you've seen it. Um, the cutscenes play out literally like mangas. They're jumping out of like frames and they're they're throwing. You know, like when they scream, there's like the the, the words <sighs> above their head. The, the, yeah, they'll, like... like they'll grab the uh words and they'll throw it at each other and stuff. Like it yeah. totally breaks the fourth wall <laughs> completely. It's a game that's so over the top and so oozing with style that it's just the presentation alone and the music. The music is all trance and techno. Okay. And the, I mean, it's one of the most amazing soundtracks I've ever heard in a game. Um, it's so good, um, but at the core, it's it's like it almost feels like Monster Hunter. Like you have you have a, a, a base with some interesting characters, and then you go on missions, and the missions are very bite sized They always have a target enemy at the end. Um, the action is for it. I think about think about this. It's a third person shooter, um, but there's no concept of running out of ammo, and there's no concept of aiming. I know that sounds really weird. So when you, when you have let's say three enemies in front of you, yeah, if you, if you hold L and shoot, you'll just lock onto the one of the monsters that are close to you. If you hit L, you'll switch over to the other one. So it's a full lock on system for a shooter, which you would think is kind of like is that easy mode? Like what what's up with that? It's a full lock on, um, but the whole idea is that the action is how you drift and how you slide across the field during a battle. So think so, like, like you keep switching between different enemies and sort of like dodging and well yeah so like you're locked on an enemy and he'll roll up and run at you sort of like an Uragon or something for like Monster Hunter like a like a rollerblade and you you're locked on so you're not worried about aiming at all and you're worried about doing these like um, jetpack dashes across the area to get under him when he jumps over you to to get behind him and stuff like that so it's there's only a few things you can do um, but it's so intricately well done. That the action in the game is just beyond belief. It's it's ridiculous. I, I, I don't know a better way to describe it. Um, but it was only released in Japan. And what's really funny is the producer, the brain behind this game, is Kojima-san, who is the producer of Monster Hunter Generations. Yes. <laughs> so it, it makes no surprise for me that Generations is so stylish and it's so aesthetically pleasing because the work he did on X-Troopers is so amazing. It's ridiculous. Um, but it's it's nice. You go in there and you you play. And it's all, it's like an anime, so everyone's very stereotypical about their characters, but they have fun with it. Um, and you have like three bases that you move through, and just a bunch of missions and big monsters. And it's a spinoff of Lost Planet, which I'm not a fan of at all. Uh, okay. And I've never I've never been interested in the game. The aesthetic doesn't even interest me, um, and the gameplay certainly doesn't. But it's it's got a lot of the same elements, but in such a comic book style way that it doesn't feel anything like it. Okay. Um, I've actually streamed the game once or twice, and I think I have some videos of it, but it's just one of those games that it plays as good as it looks, and it just looks so good. It does look. I'm looking at pictures of it right now, and it does yeah, so, look. Oh, yeah, so like what, you have two guns, right? You have your main weapon and your sub-weapon. Okay. Um, let's say you have a machine gun for your main weapon, right? So yeah. you have a clip of, let's say, 20 ammo. So all you have to do is just you know hold down the shoot button and you can shoot it, right? Yeah. And then when it's done, it's just like an active time reload. Or you just wait two seconds for it to recharge. And then you can keep shooting again. Ah. So you, you don't have to worry about reloading. You don't have to worry about running out of ammo or gathering ammo. And then your sub-weapon is kind of like your special attack where 
you can use it and then it cools down for like 30 seconds or not 30, more like 10 seconds. So let's say it's a grenade launcher, right? So you can like shoot, 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 quick dash behind an enemy, hit the grenade launcher and blow up his tail, then zip around back to the face and hit him some more. It's just super fast paced action where here's a good way of explaining it. You ever play Vanquish? Yeah, I absolutely adore Vanquish. So you know Vanquish, you're shooting, but you're also sliding at the same time? Yeah. And you can do those at the exact same time, and it's very stylish, but also very tactical. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, Where you have some very high-level action, but what you're doing is actually very simplistic. Um, It's just the execution and the exhilaration of the battle. It feels very much like Vanquish. Well, this is good because I've recently purchased a Japanese 3DS. So oh, nice. You I'm going to go it. looking for this today. I'm, I'm off out on a trip to an off house later today. <laughs> so I'm going to go look for this on the cheap. I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure it'll be there. Um, unfortunately, in looking at it, it didn't sell many copies at all. It only sold about 18,000 um, copies here in Japan. Yeah, and this will be a topic for the next game once we get there. But I think... With a lot of these creative successes that are very, I think, forward-pushing in both execution and aesthetic, I think they're very often highly rated and regarded, but they don't necessarily get in good sales. Yeah. Um, I think people look at them, literally Gravity Days, right? Like, I, it's successful, but it's not wildly successful, even though the game is fantastic. Yeah. It's, they're just, they're very different and artistic, um, and it, it definitely deserved more sales than it got. Um I'd never, I never. I think I've seen the PS3 version, but I played it on 3DS, which I thought was very, very well done because of the touch screen and activating attacks felt right, and just being able to play it on the go because all well, the, this, the it, missions are bite sized, so it, it makes sense. That, it seems that the 3DS version was developed by Capcom, and then the PlayStation 3 version was handled by a third party. Like okay, a, so the, yeah, then yeah. if it was based on 3DS, that would make sense and why it's so good. Um, but yeah, they, they they always have sales on the digital version of that game. Um, but the soundtrack is so good that literally I sat there ripping the soundtrack because at the very end of the game, and I've 100% this game a few times, uh, it's that good. Um, I probably spent 300 hours playing this. Um, wow, really? Wow. The soundtrack is so good that I, I bought audio jacks just so I can rip the soundtrack um, from the in-game jukebox. Now on iTunes, they sell the, the full soundtrack. So... It's very good, but it's yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm going to look for this today. And for I, those of you who have played it, I the, you like most anime things. There's the there's a, a battle between a few girls that the main character might have a love interest in. I'm definitely a Julia guy, so if you guys know the game, I'm Julia. <laughs> there's, it's it's like Julia is like the 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 red armor kind of like spunky, smart ass girl who okay who's who's powerful but doesn't need anybody with her she's she's got her own then you have your atypical like you know shy artistic big breasted blue like mystical girl from another planet okay yeah and yeah yeah no wasn't feeling that at all and julia was great (laughs) julia will sit there smacking your main character upside the head and and digging at him all the time it's it's hilarious it's for someone who loves something like urase yatsura which is lum in the west i'm a huge fan and i'm not a big manga or anime guy but ranma one half and Lum are my big things is Takashi Dumiko. Ah, okay. Like it, she sort of reminds me of Lum in this idea that she you could tell she she's endearing <laughs> and she likes you. <laughs> but she's such she's such um uh I can't say the B word probably on here, but she's she's a mean little girl sometimes. 
Bossy. Bossy. Bossy she's little, bossy. Bossy little she's, lady. She's snarky. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, X Troopers is, is really fun. Well, I'm going to try and find it today then, and then I'll I'll report back to you later next oh, week. Oh, man, I can't, I can't wait to hear how you like it. <laughs> well, we're going to so move... Good. Yeah, so we're going to move into your final game now, uh, which is a game I know uh, is personally means a lot to you as well. Uh, we a lot, sp- yeah. Yeah, we've spoken a little bit about it last week, and so I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to talk about. It. It's a game that's also featured on this show, uh, I think, three times now. So oh, wow. you'll be very happy to hear that as well. Um, so we're going to listen to some beautiful music from this next game, and we're going to talk in about the final game. been a pleasure having you on the show today and to cut it's such a fun trip going down memory lane (laughs) oh well i'm glad you've had fun so we're here now to talk about the final game the uh, final that you're going to take with you to the wonderful uh it's another monster hunter no i'm joking no to the wonderful kingdom hearts world (laughs) where you're going to (laughs) just chill in destiny island for a while um it's a game that released by clover studio who are now platinum games in a way, many of the excellent uh, talent that was at Clover Studio, who developed games like God Hand and Beautiful Joe, and this next game, are now at Platinum, making more excellent games. Coming here, making Bayonetta and all those wonderful things. Uh, it released for the PlayStation Two, and later the Wii and the PlayStation Three, and it had a sequel for the DS, which was also great. It's an action adventure video game that was published by Capcom. It features Amaterasu. The god, the sun god, in a wonderful, beautiful wolf type form, it's Okami. Adam, please tell me why Okami is the final game you're going to be taking with you. <laughs> Okami, oh my gosh, uh, where do I get started? I mean, just as a game, it's so. I mean, if you if you have any interest in Japan, I think Okami is a, uh, an unbelievable game, and I I don't know if most people in the West realize it, um, but every character and every little side quest and every side story in there is a fable or a folktale in Japan. Yeah. I, Everyone, like, whether it's religion, I mean, all of them. Yeah, like in Japan, people practice the spirituality religion of Shinto. And Okami has lots and lots of references. And almost, as you said, every character is something to do with Shinto mythology or a, a Shinto god or, or something like that. Yeah, so like when if you go and you start studying Japanese mythology, you realize, I know almost all these stories because I played Okami. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable it's how do you take something so i would say historically artistic as uh folklore and make it into not only an unbelievably fun video game to play but also that endearing style of art that they chose and i think it's the 
a beautiful combination of both music, visual arts, um, story writing is unbelievable, and gameplay. I can think of no game that does every department so perfectly as Okami. And it's also innovative, right? Like there's the Celestial Brush. Yeah. Everything about that game was so innovative and beautiful and positive that it's one of my favorite games of all time. It is one of your favorite games of all time. And, and I I also have a very personal connection to it. Yes, um, you do. Yes, techni- Technically, it's been 10 years, so the NDA has expired. But I won't go too much <laughs> into details. But I was the localization lead at the company that clover studios had hired to do the localization of okami so every bit of text although i didn't translate everything myself i was one who worked with clover and capcom on choosing the translators working with the translators editing everything translating some myself and even QAing the title this was my job for i would say almost an entire year so i lived and read this game uh for a good portion of my life and my career and you know, you work on a lot of games in the game industry, and you love each one um, to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, but not all of them you can, you know, kill Yamano, you know, kill Orochi 100 times and still not be bored of the game. <laughs> I can think of no game that I've worked on that even if I didn't work on it, I would be singing its praises to no end. Okami was an honor to work on. It was just, it was unbelievable. And it was one of the greater challenges, I think, is... How do you take something that's so foreign and translate it and get it into a way that's understandable by the West, but without losing the essence of what makes it Japanese? I think it was the greatest challenge of one of the greater challenges of my career was working on that um, and trying to figure out how to do that. And the people at Clover and Capcom are so stupidly talented that the discussions and everything on that was really good. But um, yeah, so I have a very personal connection. It's it's it's. It's not my game. I didn't make it, um, but in a way it is. Uh, so I I feel great ownership over the English version of yeah, how so that came out. Anyone who's played the Western version, obviously, is is playing your, your work, your version of Okami in terms of how you took all these extremely Japanese things and kept that feel of mystical Japan through them. And yeah. Okami is a shining example of... Many people include it on like a shining example of good localization. Yeah, it was, it was kind of weird. I mean, again, I'll just side note, and I just feel I'm responsible to side note that it's I worked at a translation vendor who was hired to do it. So ultimately, the the creative the decisions to use us to to steer us in the right direction that all that ownership goes to them for doing that. Um, but being able to play such a big role in that was was pretty nuts. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, you know, it was nice when the reviews came out talking about, um, you know, there was a lot of reviews talking about the quality of the localization or the writing or, um, or how witty or fun it was. And whether you wrote that personally or not or you edited it, you know, at the end of the day, you you decide whether or not it goes in the game or not. And when it you goes in and then people react to it, that's such a rewarding, amazing feeling. Um, and it's... The, the sense of responsibility if you're localizing a game that is already so beautiful and so good is ridiculous. The the pressure that you put on yourself saying that, I know this game is really good. I don't want to screw it up because th- your job is to communicate to the West the beauty that everyone in Japan got to experience, right? Yeah. Um, so it was a little nerve-wracking at times. But, um, no, I mean, just the characters in that game is so fun like uh, <laughs> like i in monster hunter i have a evanko is usually my name it's just my name adam evanko yeah um in monster hunter generations i i fixed i mixed it up and i went with uh, g hunter 
But in almost all games, my character is named Eason. Okay. And people are like, why are you Eason? I'm like, Eason's the Eason Boshi. It's the little green guy who's always on top of uh, Amy. Yeah. I was like, it's, it's such a personal memory for me. I love that character so much. I have a question about Eason, actually. And it's come up on this show before, someone who's a big fan of Okami, and they were talking about the characters and how what makes Okami so special is the characters and it's him being one of those things. Um, but they had the idea that secretly Isin was Kamiya, Kamiya-san, like, as a character. <laughs> and I don't know if you can bring any weight onto that actually being, like... No idea, but that's a really interesting way of looking about it. Like, he's sort of, like, telling you, come on, come on, Amy, we can do this. Like, stop being lazy. Like, come on, let's carry on. And it's, like, Kamiya putting himself as a small character to keep the player going. That 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 was their idea. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I actually have no idea about that, but I, that's something I would love to ask them. I would love to know. <laughs> so Okami is one of those things that you're going to take with you to the, the deserted island uh, yeah. for personal reasons as well as being a good game. Um, oh, it's such you, a good game. Did you play Okami Den at all? Hmm? Okami Den, the secret. Uh, no, I actually, I, I, I didn't. Um, I, I think I played it at a game show as a demo. Okay. But um, I really didn't play the game. I think when I looked at it, um, it's not that it didn't feel like Okami, but um, it was on the DS, I think, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. And everything felt really cramped. And I just, it, for some reason, I wasn't interested in it because maybe that. I don't know. Okay. Um, that and I, I, I don't know. Is, 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 it good? is it good? I like it. I really do. I really enjoyed it. I, as a big fan of Okami, I wanted more Okami. And I felt um, uh, the Celestial Brush idea with the yes. DS kind of fitted perfectly. And because it was it was a more chibi version of Okami, uh, mm. I I felt like it worked and it had good mechanics. It was just more Okami, really. So who who's your favorite character in Okami outside of Amaterasu and Isun? Mm. Everyone's got a different one, which is which I find really funny. <sighs> I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. You tell me yours first and why. Toby. Toby is the little devil slip in the uh, Oni Island. Uh, it's the the it's a devil slip. It's like a it's like a seal that wards off evil, and it you chase it throughout the 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 island where you fight Nine Tails, which is the big yeah. cat demon at the end. So it's he's he's a bad guy. He's supposed to be a bad guy, but he's obviously not. <laughs> and he's he's so enthusiastic about flying and and chasing. So he constantly challenges you through races as you go throughout the castle. Yeah, and. That's a character, I, I I think I translated most of the dialogue for him, but he's so cute and endearing and how just the, the dialogue that they wrote in Japanese was so fun uh, <laughs> about how he he's very snarky in his comments and how he challenges Isun and Amaterasu. Like, oh, you think you're good, huh? And it's just at the very end, um, he has to unfortunately die. Um, and But it's it's kind of cute at the end. It's like, you know, I'm I'm fortunate to have finally at least been able to to race someone worthy of racing me, and so I die a happy demon slip, oh, so to say. So, but so it's excellent. But it embraces the Japanese idea of um, I think you've heard of the concept of like shokunin, which is, you know, you you are you have a profession, you have a trade, and you're very passionate about it, and 
every day you just want to get better. Yeah, you're so, perfecting so, your craft. Exactly. So this little devil slip who just wanted to chase you around the place felt no greater satisfaction than having been able to challenge you going through <laughs> the castle. And it's just so cute looking. It's just a little piece of paper with like the Shinto symbol and, and an eye. Uh, and Toby means to fly in Japanese, which is why we went with the. I think the name was different in Japanese. I don't even know if he had a name, but uh, Toby is the name we went for in English because it means to fly. Oh, that's so to, cool. Toby. <laughs> and it's cute sounding, right? Toby. Toby, yeah, Toby. Especially when you say Toby in like the Japanese, yeah. breaking then, down of the alphabet. And through the years, as I've discovered alcohol, I have fallen in love with Susano even more. Susano, Susano. I was going to say Susano, <laughs> but my favorite, and it's a character that doesn't appear too much, but I always loved it for the mysteriousness and how cool he was, was Master Waka. Ah, yeah. So, like, he's the leader of, like, the moon... Uh, he's from the moon cave, and he's, like, the leader of the Tao Troopers. Um, yeah. And he's just this awesome, like, flute-playing, mysterious swordsman who just appears, like, at yeah. random times. And he doesn't say very much. <laughs> um, but he he has, like, uh, French tones to him. Mm-hmm. Like he's like ma chérie. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he is great. He is so good. I also like um, uh, the sensei in the dojo who like flips out at you. Oh. <laughs> he's like <laughs> slam. <laughs> he's like <laughs> he goes nuts. <laughs> it's, a, it's also one of the games where I realized that having um, non-voiced uh, vocals can actually be just as powerful. Where I think some people looked at it and they thought it was generic, like they're going, and it's not like Animal Crossing or like whatever, where it's just generic babbling. It's a bit more like uh, Zelda. It's more, it's it's like it's like voice acting in a way, right? And it's just the the emotion that you get behind the grunts of all these like, <laughs> like their their personalities came through in a way that was universally loved. Yeah, and I think that added to the overall. Um, enjoyment of the title. Well, that's the thing about Kami. I think the gameplay was superb, and uh, a lot of people compare it to Zelda in the way it worked formulaically. Mm. Um, but I think a lot of people remember Okami specifically for the characters and for how just oozing with personality that that game had. Yeah, and this is all Capcom. I had no say in this one, but I got to shout it out because I don't think I've ever heard anybody give it a shout out. But the font in that game is great. It's, it's so read. It's so readable. It's so soft on the eyes. The font, whatever font they used in the game is so good. Um, I want to find out what, what, what it was. <laughs> I do feel bad for, um, I don't know if you know the fiasco, what happened when they did the Wii version. With the... The credits? Oh, yes, they took out the... Yeah, so Kamiya-san and... Um, uh, sorry, my uh, my brain is jumping. Uh, Inaba-san are the two brain childs behind the game obviously yeah they're both, they're both at platinum games now and they they completely took out the entire credits of the developer when they did the remaster version on the wii yeah and or, or whatever so not they totally took out everybody who made the game i'm like are you joking me and i got i was pretty upset about that because those two created such a masterpiece that yeah it's like belongs the, in history in my idea because i remember like kamaya was like uh my regret is they removed the uh omoyo the omoyi they're like a combination of like everyone's messages and that kind of stuff. And it was like yeah. the staff role of everyone who worked on a project. And then he was so sad that they got rid of it. And I think they added it back in for the PlayStation Three version. I yeah, I, they, they got some, they got some, they got some crap for for doing that when they did it originally. Yeah, so hopefully they changed it. 
I think I remember it was some bullshit reason. Uh, I can't remember. It was like the Wii version took up loads of space on the disc, mm. so they had to like cut the movie and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, really? Yeah. Really? I'm also a, I'm also a big fan of uh, uh, Ebert, who's a movie reviewer. And I know there's always been the online discussion is, are video games art? Yeah. And I think I could think of no other game that Okami would is, define yeah. the idea that it takes something that is so culturally significant for Japan, yes. which is the folklore and the tales and the interactions between who these characters were and what their motivations was. And it doesn't dilute it down to a point of abstraction. It actually re- maintains that, but in a very, an aesthetic way that is, I think Japan should be proud of. And it, it you know, the, the, the drawing and everything, the, the art style is so Japanese and the music that I think it's a timepiece. It's, it's pure art and it's a joy to play. It is a joy to play, and it's funny. <laughs> funny, I've just realized it's it's extremely hot uh, today uh, in Japan, and I have a, I have, because my AC makes loads of noise. I can't have it on in the background when I'm recording. You're sweating. So I have like this small hand fan next to me that actually has uh, both Fujin and uh, Raijin on it. The the <laughs> wind god and the the thunder the thunder and lightning god. So I'm sort of wafting myself with the uh, <laughs> some deities that are, appear in Shinto. <laughs> Adam, I I think we've come to the end now. I think it's about time we send you on your way to the deserted Destiny Island that you're going to spend the rest of your days grinding yes, all, away in monster hunter all, all of my uh, all the people who follow me would say no make sure he does his bowgun tutorial first <laughs> <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today i've enjoyed talking with you about these games so very 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 much so i well, want it's to- been so much fun i you almost never get the opportunity to go back and think about the games that mean the most to you and and why and and try to explain it is it's tough because i never I, I purposely didn't think about any of this until this uh session today because i just it, wanted to come out just all and, comes uh, out yeah and it's, it's, oh it's amazing <laughs> and you're gonna be thinking about these games all day and you're gonna be all like, oh, day i now. want to i want to go back and i want to go and revel in the world of okami <laughs> or go and play mass effect it, and yes, that, I, that, I have, this is what this show is all about i have a new game pc so i'm probably gonna go and buy mass effect 2 now and- <laughs> play it or something <laughs> mario paint composer that's true that. you get, get an emulator for mario paint <laughs> although we do not we do not condone such things obviously no i don't i you i would play the original if i can get it i'm sure you could find it at your local hard off somewhere i see them all the time i don't know why i see them all the time yeah but thank you adam so much it's been an absolute utter pleasure to have you on the show today and no pleasure's all mine and it's been fun Obviously, people are going to be seeing a lot of you now, I think. With Generations being released, people are going to be seeing a lot of you now. So please, please tell the wonderful people where they can find you and what they should be checking out of yours and what they can expect maybe in the next couple of weeks. Okay, so you guys can follow me on Twitter at AEvanko, A-E-V-A-N-K-O. And so you know, yes, Adam Ivanko is my name. So when you see the cats in Monster and Generations... You often find a cat called Ivanko. That's Capcom being very nice and naming a cat after me, <laughs> which is so cool. That is, so, that is awesome. That is so it's awesome. Insane. It's bragging rights until I die, I swear. I, um, I found I found a palico last night um, of that was called Epperson. And I, I, oh, yeah, Justin. Right? Yeah, it was after JJ from 8-4, um, yeah, which was Epperson, really cool, yeah. really cool. And I think a Haruki, I think that's his son's his name. His son, I found, yeah. I think. And then I saw him in the game too, and I, I scouted him as well. <laughs> 
so good. Um, yeah, so but you can we, also find me on YouTube, of course, um, Gaijin Hunter. Um, so just go into YouTube, put Monster Hunter, Gaijin Hunter, and I should pop up. Um, a lot of people watch, but they don't subscribe. So if you do want to hit the subscription button, that's always nice because I do pump out a lot of videos at very random times. Um, because I work full time and I'm also a father, I could go an entire week without time to make a video. And then all of a sudden I drop like two in a row or something like that. So subscribe is one way that you can sort of get uh, a notice for when I upload something new. Um, I also do have a Tumblr blog, which I don't use as much as I used to, unfortunately due to time constraints, but I'm still active on there, which is also Gaijin Hunter on Tumblr. Um, but please check me out on YouTube and engage with me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time to a very annoying degree <laughs> that I probably fill up everybody's wall. And you can always tell, oh, Adam just woke up. <laughs> oh, Adam just went to bed. All of a sudden, my my wall's quiet. <laughs> but um, I really enjoy the interaction, guys. Um, so please. Uh, and then what I'm, te- I think in the next following weeks, now that Monster Hunter Generations is out, um, I was very fortunate to be given a preview copy um, from Capcom. So I sort of got a head start. So now I, the, the point of that is so I can make some tutorials on some of the more obscure things to unlock. I want to help give people some end-game goals and some mid-game goals of things that they want to do. So I think my focus over the next few weeks, when I can find the time, is going to be both top five weapon videos and also a few videos explaining how to unlock certain major features in the game mid to end game. So look forward to those if you're just picking it up. And uh, yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be really fun. Excellent. And uh, yes, I will get to the bowgun tutorials eventually. Uh, this is hardly <laughs> the place to talk about it on this podcast. But um, there's people those, shouting like, "What are you gonna do that?" <laughs> um, I I don't mean the weapon. Um, I do play it a lot. Um, so I want to do it right, and that unfortunately means that it's gonna take time. Excellent. Um, but it'll come eventually. Well, Adam, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been, no, Liam, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and I can't wait for people to check out this episode and tell and 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 constantly harass you on Twitter, like about all these <laughs> games. And people are going to be finding out the Okami story, and people are going to be like, "What? I've been what? following Gaijin for ages, and I did not know this." So that's going to be really good too. Um, if you did enjoy this show, and you are you're a long-time listener or you're a first-time listener you can find the show on twitter as well it's at final games show you can also find me on twitter and i also tweet an annoying amount as well (laughs) mostly about video games and japan things um you can follow me at liam bme you can also email the show uh it's final games podcast at gmail.com so many people have been emailing me with their own lists um, oh nice their own eight games so i posted a like a, a mock-up photo of like a blank uh island oh, nice. list so if you are interested in your in people finding out about your eight games or telling me you can do that so if you go to the final games uh twitter you can download a like a photoshop mock-up of like that's got blank lists for eight games and then you can and modify it uh, put your eight games in there and then tweet it back at me and then oh that's genius i'm coll- i'm collating an album of all the listeners we've had about 25 so far or something and and but people keep sending me emails so maybe email me about other things other than your eight games but if you do want to email me you can um we are on SoundCloud. We are on iTunes. Please follow us on SoundCloud. Please subscribe and rate and review on iTunes. It really does help. Last week, the show was once again in the top eight uh, for the iTunes nice. podcast. Uh, we've been number one. Thank you so much. We've been number one before. Um, and seeing the show in the top 30 every week is 
making me feel giddy and amazed. And as I said, <laughs> thank you so much um, for listening, being in these articles from all these wonderful publications like Best Podcast 2016, and you have shows like Serial, This American Life, all these huge podcasts, and then little old me who sits uh, on a knee-high desk in in an apartment in Japan <laughs> making this podcast. So Sweating with no yeah, issues. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> making this show um, to talk to wonderful guests like you, Adam. So thank you to everyone who listened. Also, if you do like listening to my voice, which I don't know what you would, I make videos <laughs> as well, not as good as Adam's, and not about Monster Hunter, I think. Uh, <laughs> but they are more about like uh, general video games. I actually do Japanese video game import reviews coming from oh the... you you come on extubers review well it happen exactly well i'm coming at the angle of whether you should import based on your language uh, ability because i yeah. don't speak you don't know japanese i don't know japanese very tough. good and my japanese is like i understand speaking conversational but i can't read kanji very well so mine is coming from the point of view of you mm. as a western audience and whether you should import these wonderful japanese games that you do not get so I do have an Attack on Titan PS4 review up, if you would like nice. to check that out. There is a Dragon Quest Heroes 2 review coming as well, because I know a lot of people enjoyed the first one. And the second one doesn't have a release date in the West as of yet. So hmm. I'm doing that right now. So if you want to check that out, you can go to YouTube and type Got Rare, G-O-T-R-A-R-E. So Got Rare. Uh, and you can like the videos on there. A lot of people have been digging them. I spend a lot of time putting a lot of production values into them. Um, <laughs> so please check that out as well. So once again, thank you so much for listening to Final Games. This has been such a superb episode that's got me hyped to go out looking for some EX tr- X Troopers <laughs> for 3DS. So Adam, thank you once again. And no, Pleasure's been all mine. Thank you. And I hope you have good hunting. May the hunt yeah. be ever in your favor or some catchphrase that models many different pop culture references. Thank you once again for listening to Final Games and goodbye. Happy hunting.